This is Naoki Yoshida. This is Fern Hall. And you are listening to Aetherite Radio. Aetherite Radio. Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Aetherite Radio Gamers Games Final Fantasy XIV podcast. I'm Fusion X, and joining me today, we have Zanidra. Hi. And joining us again, we've got Bill Murray and we've got Rook. Hello. What's up? Double hello. Uh, so we got a couple little bits of news, um, and then today we're going to talk about all of the uh, Tales from the Shadow stories that uh, have been coming out over the past few weeks. Uh, so first off, uh, we've got the uh, second uh, Final Fantasy XIV orchestral album, so it's volume two. It's now available uh, on the Square Enix store. Um, it's got eight tracks on it. I don't know what they are because there's no track list. Um, even on the like special site, I didn't see a track list, which is super weird. Um, I looked far and wide for that track list. I could not find it. It's, it's not. I, I looked on YouTube to see if somebody illegally uploaded it to hear it. I couldn't <laughs> find it. So you know, I it's, tried. it's funny. I've seen I've seen a couple uh, Japanese Twitter accounts tweet it out, but of course, I you know it's in Japanese, so that doesn't do really do. Do you see me. any numbers? Because we can make that happen. Numbers to to prove it's the track list. Like, oh no, I know it's I know it's the track list, but it's they just, say that on the description. Send it. It's, send it, it's, son. It's, it's in a photo. It's not like I can just Google. Well, I mean, I guess I could if I use that. Anyway, uh, so that's out. I mean, there's there's like Worm's Tales probably on there. That's something uh, new that they're doing for the second concert, uh, which just happened yesterday or last night um, in Japan. So uh, that's cool. Uh, we went to the, the one they did out in L.A. a couple of years ago, which was a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, you can check that out if you want to get that. Um, it should be shipping now. Um Yep. In theory. So I know some friends that have had some issues with the Shadowbringers OST pre-order. So uh, get it from Square or if you can find it from somewhere else, get it from somewhere else. Um, but yeah, it should be, a, should be a good listen. So uh, make sure to check that out. And that's just a that's just a CD. It's not a Blu-ray. It's not anything crazy. So uh, if you want some tunes for your car, there you go. If your car still even has the CD player. Not a lot of cars have CD players anymore. It's weird. It's so true. Uh, so strange. My wife, her new car. It's like I'm like, where's the CD player? She's like, what? I have a phone for that. Right? <laughs> Do you know yeah. of Bluetooth? This computer doesn't have a floppy drive. It's madness. Thirty uh, percent off Mog Station sale going on now. Uh, so if there's anything that uh, you want to uh, pick up from that, uh, make sure to head over there and check. I don't that know about out. you guys, but it's way cheaper to just buy 10 dies off the mug station when they're 30% off then try and get them off the market more <laughs> yeah. on my servers. You could get, you could get, uh, get your, your Fender motorcycle. You could get your whale mount. You could get some dances, all sorts someone of stuff. Someone gift me a whale mount. And I was like, what do I do with this? <laughs> just, you, you just love a picnic in the it's sky. It's so big and obnoxious. You take your beautiful eternal bond partner out for a nice dinner on top of your whale. I mean, obviously. You, the you one who did it too. That's the funny thing. You bust uh, out your Legend of Zelda glamour and you just do a whole bunch of tweets for Link's Awakening. <laughs> I was going to say, hey, if someone wanted to gift me a panda mount, that'd be good. But next week is uh, our eighth week in Titan Savage, and I'm the last person in line to get them out, so I'll be using that. There you go. Um, all right. Also, the- remember, Fenrir Mount, if you have not purchased that yet, uh, uh, at, yes. the, at the beginning of an expansion, it has all of the go-fasty coding in it, so it doesn't matter what area you're in. If you're still stuck on the ground, you're going as fast as you possibly can. That's the, the technical term for it, right? The go-fasty yeah. coding? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's account-wide, too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which, which is, is nice. awesome. Not a lot of stuff is nowadays. Yeah. I remember I bought the which one was it? The white Magitek mount because those were like the first mounts that came out on the Mog Station. I'm like, yeah, I'll get one, and then I redeemed it on the wrong character. Oh, oh no. <laughs> you know what I did? I got one of those uh, friend code thingamabobs on a third account, which is not active anymore, but it was active for a bit, and I put it on the wrong account also. Yeah. Well, the worst part is, right, because it was the first mounts on the Mog Station, they didn't have a support system in place to deal with that. They still so it was don't. Like... Their support system is, don't screw it up. Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> you well, clicked the wrong thing. You in my defense, it. maybe I shouldn't have 10 mules with the same name on different yeah. servers, so... <laughs> Uh, right. So uh, that's going to take us into our discussion here. Uh, over the past few weeks, uh, Square Enix, as they usually do around this time, they put out uh, stories kind of helping to fill in the lore uh, behind the scenes for the expansion and the story. Um, so this uh, time around, it's Tales from the Shadows, um, and it does a little bit of a dive here for we've got uh, Thancred, we've got uh, I'm standing. blanking a Astinian, that was the second one. I'm like, I read all of these. And uh, and then the third one, we get kind of an interesting perspective on Sid uh, and then M itself, uh, which is the one that everybody wants to hear more of, I think, after yeah. finishing MSQ. We'll save so. the best for last. There you go. Yeah, so let's go I ahead. I don't know. I and, rate them uh, by how many tears I cried for each. <laughs> I don't you know if I really... saved. Yeah. I don't know if I really cried for any of them. I, I definitely had, like, <gasps> no, not, none of that, but a couple of... You know. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh, Bill, go ahead and uh, let's let's go through these. Okay, so I think we're gonna go in order in which they were published, and so the first one is called "One Name, One Promise," and it deals with the story of Thancred and his backstory and how he's interacted with Louis Swa and. Young Asilia and old Menphilia and the new Menphilia, who is now Irene. So, um, are we able to post those? Yeah, I got it. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Okay. So, <clears throat> it deals with the uh, his formative years, which is really good. Um, we know from the lore book and from his past that he grew up in Limsa Lamensa um, in their notorious pirate underbelly, I guess you could say. Uh, this was all before Admiral Merylweb. Uh, did her reform and try to clean up the streets a little bit. Um, streets and the seas. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, I don't know. I, on my server, Limsa is just kind of the place for people AFK and it gets a little, uh, I don't know. I don't like to hang out there, you know. Well, it's because it's, it's that market board is just right there, which is it's, really I know funny. It's convenient. I, I get that. Yeah. Um, and, and and just think, back in the day, we had that 1.0 cinematic, and they had the Aetherite up there, you know, yep. at the, the second story of the tower, and they're like, no, that's actually going to be a really bad place, because they were expecting so much foot traffic there. <laughs> that would have been way better to have it up there. <laughs> at oh, least well. for me, when I'm like, I need to turn in some crap at the grand company right now. Well, keep keep in mind, this is when when they were, were getting ready to unveil the hit new questing system known as Guild Leaves. Oh, so. man, that took off. <laughs> okay <clears throat> i think it's interesting that uh you know i don't know i look at all the cutscenes with thinkard right now and he's got kind of this i don't know we call it like a salt and pepper kind of hair or whatever and but they the way that it's described in the story is that he has silver hair that's actually the color that they use and he's always had this so it's not like a sign of age and this made me start to think like how old is he really and, and i know it's you know square enix and and 
Kochi Fox, they've been very careful as to not put down like hard and fast timelines as to how much time has passed between certain expansions. So everything I'm saying here is speculative based uh, just other than things that we know. So we do know though, according to um, the first lore book on page 190, my, Look my it up with us. Yeah. <laughs> Get that, your uh, that, books uh, out. According to patch 3.3, that is when Thancred was Just within 32 reach. years old. <clears throat> okay. I, well, mine's up here on the shelf. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, yeah. Mine is also right <laughs> just, over there. But... Just in and case, it, I wanted to make is, sure. This is within arm's length here. <laughs> Everyone, I know. My mine are always within arm's length. Okay, so yeah. So he's got... Nerds. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Big old nerd time. Well, this, this, this whole... This is nerd out time. Okay. Anyway, sure. so at patch 3.3, and that's when we go and we fight um, Nidhogg uh, on the final steps of Faith. And, uh, you know, I guess that it's it's pretty reasonable to speculate that the events of Stormblood, the 4.0 events, um, are maybe about a year long. So, okay, let's just guess that's 33. And then we know that he spent five years of experience on the first. Okay, so he's pushing around 40 years of experience. Now, I don't want to say 40 years old because yeah. I actually I thought about this. I don't know if these scions are actually aging on the first because not even like their real selves, not even their real bodies. Okay, so so I'm just kind of that's why I said he's pushing 40 years of experience. Big air quotes here for those listening on the, uh, <laughs> on the podcast. Um, anyway, that's that's the thing. It's like he's he's got this this hair where, okay, you know, around the age of 40, yeah, okay, it's going to start to look that way. But the point is, he's always had that hair color. That's that's what I was getting at. So so there you go. Next time you're on Jeopardy, you will know uh, the, <laughs> the answer to that question or the question of that answer. That's yeah, the, 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 the time bubble is always such a weird way, you know, in, in trying to measure, you know, the span of, of events and stuff. I mean, I remember going through, like, Final Fantasy eleven, right? There's all these expansion packs, all these storylines. One year. That's one Vanadil year that that game happens in everything. And it's just like, it's a yeah. hell of a year. <laughs> like... yeah. It's especially well, it's especially strange too, because I mean, Thancred and Minfilia in particular, who are kind of the, the focus of this first story, there's some of the characters that we know span the timeline into 1.0 and some of the things that happened in 1.0 actually carried over for them in 2.0 and beyond. And it's been kind of one of those weird gaps in the game to not know about their earlier years if you came in in 2.0 or later or maybe you never read any of the supplemental stuff and so it was really cool actually seeing that kind of addressed both in Shadowbringers and now in this lore you know edition mm -hmm. that we have through the story to kind of go oh wait hold on their experience those years of experience all that history kind of spans outside of this and there was kind of important context there that we needed to know about all of this as we got into the relationship with uh, Reen and all of this that develops in Shadowbringers. Yeah, it's really interesting to me. I can remember playing back in 1.0 and it, it never felt like, it felt just like a like a friendly relationship. Obviously they were close, um, but the more, you know, we hear about it here and the more, you know, we see obviously now in Shadowbringers, it's definitely more of like a father-daughter relationship than like just like a friendly, like, oh, she's like my sister. No, it's, it's higher than that. Um, and so that's, it's always interesting to, to hear a little bit more about that and to remind people like, Hey, like your dad was like a guardian spy. And like, there was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff going on back then that they never, like they, they came back to remind us that that was a thing, but that was it. Like they don't go into more depth and elaborate on what, you know, if that was going to be a major plot line in 1.0 or it's just, it was a thing. 
and that's it. <laughs> that's a good kind of segue to kind of seeing how it all puts together back in this story. Um, you know, it goes into, like I said, it talks about his, his past while he was there in Limsa and, you know, talks about how, you know, he was, uh, you know, he was very passionate about what he did. He was very agile. He, you know, had kind of a sharp mind. And uh, upon hearing that there is this wealthy trader arriving at the Limsa docks, Thinker thought he would go and try to rob this guy and, you know, take his money. Little did he know that this foreigner was the great scholar Louis Soir, who <laughs> knew this was coming and used his magics to bind Thingrid's hands and knock him on his back before any sort of theft could take place. I wish there was a cutscene for this. I think that would be hilarious. I would love to see this. It'd yeah. Be so good. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, but it's very interesting there because this is a kind of a pivotal change for him to where he's thinking, okay. I'm about to be thrown into prison, things are about to be bad, but Louis Swall kind of like took him off to the side, introduced himself, they got to know each other, and, and saw this as kind of like, okay, this is a person that's obviously talented, he's gifted, how can I take that in and kind of focus him in the right direction and use his skills for good? And, you know, Thinkard might not have, you know, chosen the life that he had up to this point, but he was able to make the choice to choose to accept this great scholar's invitation and ultimately he moved with him uh well obviously Louis Swall already lived there in Charlene but that's when actually he moved there right at that point uh and one of the interesting things too is that we learn that the surname of Thinkrid, which is Waters and we've known this um this surname was actually insisted upon by Louis Swall himself and Waters actually comes from Thaliac which as we know is the guardian of Rushing river, rivers and the purveyor of knowledge. Um, I just kind of thought it was interesting because we really didn't know the origin of his surname. We knew what it mm -hmm. was. It's been in the lore book. Uh, but now that we know that it comes from Louis Swall, and it's it's interesting to see that he received that name in this pivotal ship, pivotal ship of his life where he um, is, is changing kind of where he's going and what he's doing and how he's redirecting things. And that's going to be really important because it obviously was influential on him because he's going to take that and he's going to be the one, this is Thancred, in giving young Asilia her new name, Menphilia. And of course, we know from the 5.0 story, he's the one that gets to name um, little Menphilia into Reen. And that's because of the influence of Louis Swall. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. It's yeah. Such... I... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say, and it's, and it's nice that they they bring that up too because it's like, hey, the, remember the twelve, the twelve were a thing. Remember, remember, yeah, this the naming, yeah, that's totally, that was it. That's all. I, yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, I love that because we see, like you just, like we've all brought up here, you see so many things come full circle with that. One, we have this reference to the twelve, who we now have a totally different perspective on, possibly with some of the lore that has come about with Shadowbringers, but you also kind of get this full circle with his story. And the title of this whole short story, One Name, One Promise, which just automatically tells us that there's something important about naming. And whether that is, I mean, this idea of a fresh start, or it's sort of names a lot of times are tied into identity, who we are as people, how we present ourselves, how the world sees us. And there's all these sort of intricacies that are tied up in that. And the idea of like naming somebody as well, um, that sort of parental act or that, that you know, you're starting new, let me give you a fresh start. It's just, it's so interesting to see Thancred take this journey from 
being somebody who needed a new direction in life, who was literally just kind of wandering aimlessly, who is just living every day, day by day, to then get this new identity, this new opportunity. And then finally, in the end, be able to come for a full circle here with Rain and give her the exact same sort of future that he was given while also letting go of the past, which is just like, it's just so good. It's such good storytelling, you know? How does your heart feel? It's just hurt, so- but good, but like a good heart. <laughs> it's so full. <laughs> it's so wonderful. Um, such So much detail that you just don't even think about. I appreciate that. That's... Uh... That's really, really good feedback. Okay, let me just kind of look and see where we're at here. Okay, um, the story also kind of talks about how, uh, you know, Thinkrid, as a pupil of Louis Soir, um, grew with his talents. He was respected by the wider society. Um, you know, he was uh, obviously equipped to infiltrate difficult locations as well as charm the merchants and the socialites. Um, you know, he wasn't this young, uh, boy from the streets of Limsa. You know, he was a confident youth. He was able to pose as a confidant until he acquired the information that his clients required. And after his skills were recognized, that is the time when he received the Archon sigil on his neck. And of course, there's something uh, that brought Louis Swa a lot of joy. I really Didn't liked we- uh, this in particular because I think they actually say it in the story itself. But it definitely shows, too, that the people in Charlian understand, accept, and uh, even uh, uphold people who do basically dirty work, but for a good reason. Everybody's, everybody's got their own thing. Like, you know, it's, it's interesting because you see, you see Thancred, right? He goes from this little scamp, like, oh, I'm going to rob this old guy. To like now he's like Charlian's like 007. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, basically, right? And yeah, in a, that's, that's in a, a good, lot of societies, yeah. I think in in our main three that we start with, and in reality, people are like, oh, spies, I don't know about that. But uh, the Charlians, they're like, no, totally necessary, very helpful, thank you. Here, have a medal, you know. Yeah, and it speaks <laughs> to their society, the idea that for them it isn't necessarily a, a moral question, it's a question of knowledge and skill, so... Mm-hmm if you are exceptionally skilled in something that can be applied and used in the world, then that's recognized as its own value. And he's given a place to operate, you know, somewhat legally within, <laughs> you know, his skill set and abilities that kind of puts him on this path. Gold star fan cred. Here's your tattoo. <laughs> Purple wiggle fan cred. I don't know. You know, I think connecting him to like James Bond, I think that's, like wholly appropriate especially with all the lady killing yeah well (laughs) even in some of the the more recent movies you know james bond is trying to protect this this young woman and you know changes his identity and that sort of stuff so anyway um so story tells a little bit more about how he met young asilia now we've seen this cut cut scene a variety of times uh it's it's you know both in 1.0 and um in the current game um, we know that she lost her father. Uh, we know that she was ultimately uh, adopted, and that uh, the issues with the father um, and having the run-ins with the Garlean operatives—that's uh, actually was a big deal. One of the times uh, Thinkrid had to kind of intervene and to deal with some of them, uh, knowing that uh, because he was not paying attention um, when Asilia's father was killed, 
he felt uh, really bad about that. And so he kind of decided that he needed to uh, take upon this protector role. And as the Garland operatives uh, kept on coming, um, he had to go to Ocilia and say, like, look, um, I, I think it's best for you to take upon a new name, take upon a new identity just to kind of protect yourself. And he was the one that changed Ocilia's name to Ancilia Ward. Okay. So it's interesting that he gave her that name in the same way that Louis Swa gave um, Thancred his last name. Uh, I just think that's really meaningful. And of course, that gives the context to Thancred giving Reen her name in the 5.0 main story I, th I think it's like it's 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 meaningful in both in both versions right but i think the the naming for reen is more impactful because this is more of a like hey like can we just not deal with the garleans anymore <laughs> like it's just like we should do this and this will help things but this one was more of like an actual like like character moment i think um I, I think it fills out <laughs> some of the background for the naming of Reen, because <clears throat> in both in both places, uh, there's there's almost a kind of a shift in responsibilities. You know, Asilia was just kind of someone who was there in Ulda, and now she's kind of playing, you know, in, in a disguise. You know, the story goes on and says that how she's kind of dressed up like a miner, and Thancred is really impressed at her devotion to, you know, to her to her craft. And then, of course, when Reen gets named is at the point to where she has gone from, I don't know what I should do. Nobody really likes me. I'm just a big burden to everybody to no, I'm going to take this, this destiny and I'm going to own it for myself. And, uh, you know, she kind of grows up there. So. Um, Did anybody else think about Tataru mining when, when I talked about Minfilia, like yep. geared up, that was like my, yep. my first thought that my brain went yep. to. Yeah. I, mean, I thought about her later. <laughs> oh. oh man, we're gonna get to that. <laughs> oh. It's it's interesting because this sort of like middle ground is almost the relationship, at least at this point, between Minfilia and Thancred is is kind of like a, a middle ground for his life. Right? We have him coming out of this sort of like rough background now becoming a spy, and then encountering somebody that's gonna change the way that he perceives and interacts with the world from then on out. And it's so complicated too because He's been sort of a part of the situation that robbed Minfilia of all of these things. And he's realizing that even though he's achieved something great and he has these skills, that there may be repercussions outside of that that affect him as a person. And whether or not he wants to do something different with his life and whether or not, you know, his naming of Minfilia at this time is something that really feels like a genuine fresh start for her as a person or it's something that's more like he feels this burden of guilt you know he has mm -hmm. to help her so he has to get her relocated he has to do all of this stuff whereas by the time we eventually hit reen it's almost like i don't know there like you were saying there's something more significant about that it's almost like that's an act of forgiveness for the things he's done and and looking forward for the future as opposed to being tangled up in all these other things and it does feel different, which is something that struck me too while I was reading over everything. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's not like like Reen has an actual father figure, right? On the first that we see get trampled by a goobu or anything, but maybe maybe at this point, Thancred's I mean, you know got Ranji. Well, yeah, he does that's, not get trampled true. though. Oof. No, no, no. But it's you know it's one of those things where he the it's trampler. Like it's, it's not it's not like a like a redemption arc necessarily be because there's not enough 
compare like things that are the I mean, same. His redemption but, arc is kind of like redemption for himself being kind of. There's there's definitely some guilt that he feels like he needs to to deal with though. Yeah. Um, and and there's and that's there's a whole transition to that from the beginning of the 5.0 story to till the end of it. I mean, you can see that. Yeah. Um, is is a character arc for him. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting too. We you know the story kind of shifts a little bit and it moves to the first, and it shows kind of that. A really cool cutscene that we saw the very first time in, in FanFest, um, where he's down under Yulmore and he's running with, I'm just going to call her Reen for the sake of the story. Um, <laughs> you know, he he, uh, he rescues her and he sees this as kind of a, uh, you know, the story specifically says that as he is rescuing her, he is recalling his previous memory uh, of you know, kind of protecting Menphilia and, and being kind of at her side. Uh, we also learn, I think this is interesting, that one of the motivations for his shift from being that rogue job to a gunbreaker was his desire to be a protector. Okay, so it wasn't just that, oh, we need to kind of get the gunbreaker into the story, let's put mm. someone in there. Um, you know, he actually took upon the tank role instead of the DPS um, as, uh, you know, due to the motivation of wanting to protect Menphilia um, and now Reen. I mean, he literally changed jobs for a girl. I think I think it's interesting too. I mean, and I, I had this thought, and I was saving it for for this part um, when we were talking about when he got his name. Um, obviously, you know, purveyor of knowledge. He's not like textbook knowledge, right? He's he's has a completely he different picks up skill the knowledge set and but, brings it. <laughs> but there's there's that knowledge. other side of the coin for Thaliak, right? The idea that uh, you know, like a guardian of rivers rivers flow of time he's you know like maybe there's a little bit of like a loose connection there you know something that i hadn't actually until we were sitting here talking about this and we we're breaking it down in this way something i hadn't thought about at all is the symbolism of where minfilia literally turns back the tide in in the first and the idea that we have this sort of parallel, and it was probably my least favorite zone in all of Shadowbringers, but maybe that's about to change <laughs> because it's, it's you know, the kind of Ulda-esque um, area all around Amarang and the mining. Um, you know, we literally have a dungeon where you go down into the mine and the fact that where her life pivoted and changed is actually where she ends up on the first to turn back this tide almost like she did in a sense on her own home plane is so interesting. And the fact that all of these really important interactions that we see between Thancred and Reen almost all exclusively take place with that backdrop. Um, it's so fantastic. I honestly had never even thought about this, that him stepping up to be a protector in many ways was likely inspired by seeing how hard Minfilia worked and you know, her mining and all of this sort of thing. And now we get this backdrop for a lot of those big scenes or the fight with Ranjit where his sword ends up in the ground and he has, I think, officially become a protector against the backdrop of the place where all of these things happened for them in a sense. And it's really cool story, really cool story detail that I just didn't even think about on it. I was, I was so worried at that fight because the fight feels like it goes on way longer than it needs to. And then Thankard is just, he is not looking good at the end of that. And and I got the sense, I'm like, oh, don't do it. Don't don't kill Thankard off. Don't, why would you do this to me? Luckily they didn't, but it was, <laughs> yeah, I was very worried there. For, I mean, I did for... fail that fight one time, so. <laughs> it happens. I didn't know how the freaking like holding his breath thing worked. 
<laughs> that was, I mean, that was, it was Until interesting, though, right? Because, because, you know, we talk about, right, he he, he moved over to, to, to Gunbreaker, but at the same time, he still had those, like, rogue skills. And to be able to see that um, play in battle like that was, was really cool to do that role yeah. play with him, so... So um, this one got uh, approximately two to three tiers, um, specifically at the part where uh, he walks Smithlia home, and it's like, all right, go see Philomene, go, go have a home, go have a life with your with your semi mom. Yeah. And he's just kind of thinking like, I could go in there. That could be me. No, nope. but it's not. But it's not. Yeah. And I'm just like. <laughs> Are we gonna you know, rank I, these stories on a one to five tier scale? <laughs> I mean, actually, I'm just, I'm just, I don't know. I'm rating them on how many yeah. tears I actually cried. Like, okay. um, you know, another one another fell, thought. and there were two more that were kind of like. <laughs> another thought that I had, um, you know, talking about when he goes and um, grabs Minfilia and Irene from from the dungeon Yulmore, was are we gonna see this? Is this gonna be part of that Grand Cosmos dungeon? If it's in Yulmore. Wherever it may be. It would make sense to be able to go down in there at some point, right? It looks too nice, so. though, right? Well, wait, wait, maybe we go down. I still think it's going to be in uh, in Ilmeg because the screenshots that we have are in Ilmeg. And yes. uh, that, that castle. That's true. I forgot about castle. Ilmeg. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think that's the best. Uh... At some point, we're going to go to the dungeon. At some point. It'd be weird if we didn't. <laughs> for, for me, the thing that makes me think Ilmeg is because the armor and those gates look very much. Yeah, we just and we just talked about this last week. I'd yeah. completely forgotten yeah. everything that about it being an Ilmeg. It's gonna be someplace entirely different. It's uh, it's buried in the sands in Amarang or something. <laughs> and we're gonna be like, well, we sure all so, were wrong. Ne next week, you're gonna be like, it's in that tall building in the Tempest. You're just gonna yeah. keep changing yeah. your mind. It's the Capitol building. Yeah. Right. That's uh, that's one of the things that that was already brought up. Like, those windows are awfully ornate. That's kind of Amorati plus Cosmos, you know. Oh, there you go. It's in every <clears throat> single place, so none of us are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know it can't be on the source because it's going to bring your trust, and your trusts are still stuck on the first. Yeah. Anyway, okay. <laughs> uh, so last little bit that we get out of that story, and oh my gosh, we're like not even a fourth of the way done. Okay. Right. <laughs> Don't <laughs> worry about it. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that they went out of their way to give a paragraph to talk about uh, like her her jail cell down there in the mm -hmm. bottom of Yulmore. And it was like bottom, bottom, like below sea level bottom. Like you can't even see it from the outside. Um, you know, if you were to like walk into Yulmore, you, usually you can, you can either take the elevator up or you can go up the stairs like most people do. But I, I imagine the, that elevator goes down. Uh, and it, it made a point to talk about how, like, although her, her bedroom is just kind of like all the basic things, like, you know, bed and a desk and stuff like that, but it had a massive bookshelf with lots and lots of books in it. I'm thinking, like, why in the world would they even say that? But I'm thinking, okay, that actually explains why, while she's there visiting Orianger and his library, that she wants to borrow a book. And it's like, okay, you know, she's interested in learning. She's educated. She wants to grow. Um, and I just, okay. Nice little, and I, and I, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about this, but this is literally Elizabeth from Bioshock Infinite. She's, she's a prisoner, but maybe doesn't feel quite like a prisoner. She likes to read. Anyway, Big shrugs. I played it. Sorry. <laughs> 
Sure thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, and of course, as he's, uh, you know, rescuing her, you know, he, he makes this point at the end of the story, you know, he's like, okay, I'm going to make things right this time. You know, he's, he, he wasn't paying attention back in Old Daw, back in 1.0. Now he's got a chance. Now he's going to make it right. And uh, it's good. It's a good story. Good Don't story. let any gooboos near her. Right. Or her friends. <laughs> Which is funny because they're right out there in Calusia. They're just, oh. just hanging out. <clears throat> Being right. terrible monsters that fly with their arms going like this in the air. They're so cute. I love them. They're not murderers. It was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else? Uh, uh, no, I think that was it for, for Thankard. Yeah, it's... It is interesting to get a little bit of backstory with with Thancred and, and Philia because I feel like there's always just a little bit more that they can tell um, and especially now that we have Reen they've kind of passed the torch right so um, we'll get even more stuff coming up in uh, in Shadowbringers and then I, and I think you know for for Thancred right Menphilia is just like that girl he can't quit right like it's always going to be lingering there in the back of his mind somehow um, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops in the uh, in the patch series for sure I'm kind of excited because, you know, for a while we thought, oh, Menphilia's gone. She's dead. She's now the word of the mother. And she didn't really do much. And now we're learning, actually, she's done a lot for us. And now she's actually, okay, she's now a pretty important, you know, character in the story going far. And, um, you know, so I, I like that she's she's relevant now. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You know, Plus, it yeah we had that. Oh, sorry. Te that teaser at FanFest and you know the name drops Benfilia and we we're all kind of like oh she's back <laughs> like yeah. yay cool we're, we're, we're less reluctant now so yeah okay yeah. well I uh, no link girls story. in the in the the first with her so we're all right right <laughs> please continue okay sorry <laughs> no you're good uh Okay, so the second story deals with Estinian, and it is called Echoes of Delusion. And boy, are there puns in that. Uh, and we don't learn about it until the very last line. Kind of interesting. So it tells the story from uh, Estinian's perspective from the time when he rescued the Warrior of Light um, from the Gimlet Dark back in 4.55. Uh, spoilers, by the way, uh, for those of you that haven't been around for... Remember that? That was, that was a thing that happened. Yeah. They showed it with though. one one image and a little bit of text. Yeah. That was I all like we got to I, see I like, it. man, his, his what what he did in, in 4.0 was so good. I mean, talk about a redemption arc. I would love to see more Stinian. Yeah, oh, I hope we do. I hope he becomes a yeah. trust. That's the thing. He needs to become Ooh. a trust. Okay. All right. So um, so we get the story from, from that particular point until he actually sets out on his journey to eradicate the Black Rose facilities where he meets our buddy Gaius. So, <clears throat> excuse me. After uh, delivering the Warrior of Light uh, to the Ishgardian Infirmary, uh, we see that Estinian quickly returned to the battlefield because he feels that he is more useful fighting than sitting around with the Warrior of Light. And a lot of the story is kind of Estinian thinking, okay, is this really something I should be doing? Is this a waste of my time? Or is this something that actually is something that uh, would be worthwhile for his efforts. Unfortunately, once he got to the battlefield, uh, Xenos had withdrawn, and there was not really much to do there. So I'm not quite sure why he did this, but he thought, oh, I'm just going to wander around the uh, 
snowy fields of Corthus. Um, and at this time, he hears his name called. He recognizes the voice, and it is Orn Kai. Okay, he's looking now, for inspiration that actually did... and found an annoying dragon. Yes, yeah. I need to find something to do. Hey, remember me, Estidian? Ah, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you are a Dragoon main and you didn't skip the cutscenes, then you would know about Orn Kai because the 4.0 Dragoon quest uh, dealt with uh, Estidian and Orn Kai going over to the Far East. And, of course, it talks about that previous journey. Um, And he actually has his little young wyvern there. I kind of thought of, oh, it's like a... Final Fantasy XI, Dragoon's Dream. Yeah, that's probably partially why they did it, if we're yeah. if we're being honest with ourselves, and, and right? There's, there's even that, that line in there, too, where it talks about all, like how he's a dragon slayer, but he's, like, hanging out with this this wyvern in, in like, a, right. you know, in Kugane, and it's like, okay. <laughs> so, having uh, not been satisfied with their first journey to the Far East, Ornkai wants Estinian to accompany him yet again, um, over to the Far East, and as you had mentioned, uh, he responds by saying, "Like, hey, I just, I don't want, I don't want to do this." Um, he actually kind of says, "I don't want to play the nursemaid," but then Orn Kai asks, "Like, how old Estinian is?" And he says, "Like, well, I'm like ten times your age, so I would be playing the part of the nursemaid." And you know, it was getting on Estinian's nerves, and I think, like, even just using the word "triggered" would be like a good way to describe how frustrated Estinian was getting at this. You know, he pulls out his lance and he points it and he says, look, I've, I've completely sworn off the slaying of dragons, but I might make an exception for you because you're just super annoying at this point. <laughs> um, but seeing that that fire for the dragons is still there, Ornkai uh, gets excited because this adventure to the Far East was to ch- chase after Siryu. And so, okay, Um Ornkai actually heard that Siryu was a dragon. It's another Eleven thing, right? It's like, Siryu yeah. must be a dragon. <laughs> it's got it in the name. Yep. <clears throat> and so, okay, so Estinian kind of reluctantly travels along with him. Yeah, you know, we get the sense, like, he doesn't really want to do this. Uh, you know, he's got better things to do. Walk around the snow, fight some Garleans. So... There's this long journey they take there, and of course they can't do like we do and just teleport, you know, for 999 gil. Uh, they got to take. You but know, why? The, they got to take the boat. Um, They've well, even already been there. Like they should have attuned. <clears throat> well, maybe they forgot. I don't know. <laughs> Dumb. He like gets on uh, the boat and like right as it pulls out of port from his first trip, he's like, ah crap. <laughs> yeah. This is gonna cost me later, isn't it? Big mistake. <laughs> So they eventually learn, to their disappointment, that Siryu was not a dragon, but actually a serpent. And also, unfortunately, this long journey had depleted their coin purses. So now he is frustrated, he's tired, he's poor, and he's hungry. That's a nice uh, recipe for depression, let's put it that way. Um, And then they get noticed by this woman in Kugane. We don't learn her name, but she is the proprietor at the hostelry uh, and he, sorry, she uh, offers both Estinian and Ornkai uh, room and board if they work there as kind of like this sideshow attraction because she believes that 
dragons are bringer of good fortune. And we know Astinian does not believe that dragons are bringers of good fortune. He's like the living embodiment of the bad fortune. So now he's stuck, he's poor, he's frustrated, and he's not doing what he wants to do. And, you know, and he's now part he's of a two man show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. It's interesting. Do you like, know I, who I, I am? I, yeah. I see this and I think of like, man, like all those images from like the Shanghai Fan Fest are really cool. You know how they could top that in Vegas? Get a guy dressed up as Stinian with a wyvern that's like a blowtorch and he's like just has like a squid stand. Right. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I mean he, it's he, it's probably some of the most mundane imagery we have out of all four of these stories. I mean, Estinian's narrative is really it seems just kind of this little comical journey that he does yeah and, and yet it's very interesting because i think it touches base on where we've been in a sense the idea that we have this character who was iconic for everything that happened um back with our first expansion in heavensward and the idea of the world that we've already visited still being a place that exists kind of feels solidified with this story like we're getting information about the fact that tensions might still be there between you know, the dragons and Ishgard, but they are working together in a lot of ways. There's a new mentality and that that perspective is also mingling in this sort of multicultural exchange that they're having with now with all the stuff in the East. And it does give you this groundwork for, you know, we're not forgetting about everything that's come before. We're going to keep paying attention to it um, in a way that the other stories don't have. Mm -hmm. It's also kind of fun because uh, brain fart. Yep. I agree. Those are those are entertaining. I have a new earlier. You did this to me. No, um God, it was so related. Oh, uh we we are us usually the ones running around doing the mundane crap for other people, right? Well, mm -hmm. now somebody else gets a turn. You don't like it very much, do you? It's it's funny cuz like I really I mean, you know, as a dragoon, right? I really liked Ascendian as a character and it, like this whole story was way more like comical than I was expecting. And so mm -hmm. it's like really weird. Like part of me is like like don't go full Hildebrand. Like what are you what are you doing? This is, this is little... my serious character. Please don't make him funny. Well, it, it's it, like I they're... don't think it did go full Hildebrand. No, no. definitely not. You know. No. <laughs> they so, just wrote okay. the story they're like how can we mess with Ascendian? <laughs> But it's, like it's believable, it. I think. I think yeah. he, he responds in this story exactly how we would expect him to respond. Yeah. So, especially when we have two familiar females that eventually find him and Orenkai. And they are our Lalafell females of Tataru and Kryl. Okay. And they approach Justinian and Tataru greets him saying, there you are. You know, you get, kind of get the sense that she had been looking for him for a long time. Of course, she is run out of Scion friends. They're all, you know, in the, you know, in the little, little room, the side room there in, <laughs> uh, in Mordona. So she, she needs some, some friends. She needs some people to, to help her out. Having too much and, fun in the uh, Far East. Can't go home. Way nice, cuter nice. outfit. Nicer hairdo. Just stay there. Uh, and Astinian at this point is thinking like, okay, I'm not about to get caught up in another bothersome adventure. So he's just like, see you later, peace, deuces. And he just like, he takes a sack. He, and he takes, Yeah, he just, <laughs> he, he just like jumps up and the local crowd is just like, you know, Good they, show, they think wonderful. Yeah. And he's just like, days. I'm out of here. And he dips. He like okay. looks at Tataru to Ornkai. He's like, you know what? No. <laughs> <And> just... <laughs> a bite. Yeah. 
I mean, he just. Do you ever do you ever do those those trials where you wipe two or three times and you got that one person that's just like I'm out of here and he just leaves like that that's how I feel that this was he leaves and everyone's like oh now we got okay. at least attempts were made this is this is yeah. like getting steps of faith back in like you know three point whatever and you're just oh, like yeah. you know what I'm not even I'm just I'm gone right now I'm not even yeah. gonna <laughs> is that a pun steps of faith Estinian okay related related okay. <laughs> Okay, so what he underestimated, though, was the persistence of Kryle and Tataru, and I'm not surprised, especially thinking of Kryle. And so it's this ongoing story of, okay, he's going to go cross this bridge, and then the two Lollafells find him, and he's like, nope, I'm not doing this, and he leaves. And then he goes to the top of Kugane Castle, and they find him, and he's like, no. And, and it's like, he just, just keep this back and forth of like, I don't want to deal with this, I don't want to deal with this. And then... Eventually, it's like, okay, there's this boat that's about to leave. I'm going to wait for it. And before this happens, they catch up with them one more time. And at this point, this is where Kryle kind of like, she kind of like stumbles and falls down on one knee. And she kind of like holds her head. And it's as if she's she's having this, this echo vision of his past. And of course, we know that he has a very uh, colorful and, and dark, and not dark, uh, dark, <laughs> dark past. And, uh, you know, so he kind of, he sees this and he realizes, oh, well, the Warrior of Light, you know, has the echo power. Maybe Kryle does too. And so he kind of stops and he wants to know what it is that that she saw. And so she's reluctant to say it. And she, but she like apologizes. She feels bad. She's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't know that things were this bad with you. Okay. He feels like, okay, maybe they're, they're, they're coming to me. They're approaching me because they have a reason. And of course we know this reason is that there's Black Rose that's out there, and the two of them basically commission and charge him with uh, going to these Garland facilities and getting rid of them, which is what he wanted to do at the beginning of the story. He wanted to return to the battlefield at Gimlet Dark and fight some Garleans. So he's like, yes, I'll do this. I'm tired of running around with this little wyvern. I'm tired of being the, the circus freak, and I'm tired of running around. Like, He's like, good, I found something I want to do, and he goes. Good for him. Okay, and we're happy he does because he meets with uh, Gaius and they're super successful and uh, I'm super curious to see what's going to happen with them next. It's going to be the best buddy cop drama we've ever seen. Right. Uh, yeah. Assu assuming assuming 5.1 does, doesn't start with Gaius just immediately getting sorted through the chest and dying. No, 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 no. no. They can't do it. They can't. Um, can't did do anybody it. else interpret the the interaction with Kryle and Estinian more as uh, she's like, oh, I saw a thing in your past. And he's like, don't freaking tell anybody. I'll do what you say. Because that's kind of how that, I read it. That that whole, like, section read to me like like a horror movie, right? He's, like, walking around Kugane and, like, he turns around and they're just, like, there. <laughs> <laughs> he tries so hard as a character. And for so long he has been a character that I think hasn't really been able to be involved in the main story because he's such a loner mm. and everyone loves he doesn't want to be <laughs> yeah he doesn't want to and yet we're seeing more and more that he is getting invested and this kind of feels like a setup to for stuff in the patches i hope we get to see a lot more of him and maybe he'll even play a role in some of the stuff coming up with a new x pack down the way because it seems kind of like a let's just get him here connect him with these people and then fill in the blanks and put a little bit of humor in there to sort of contrast yeah it's it's, I think, you know, it's one of those designs, right, with Shadowbringers is so many of the main characters that we've interacted with are now not on the same world as, as that we've been on. And so they have to kind of pull these other characters, right, out of the woodwork a little bit. Like, hey, you were around for a little bit. Let's, you know, shine the spotlight on you a little bit. Let's develop you a little bit more. 
Second so string, step up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's what we're getting we're getting with the Stinian. Um they brought Gaius back because who else is left that they could really like there's Emmerich, I guess, but he's you know, in, you know, he's a little busy with Ishgard. Yeah. Um we don't really have a lot of like I mean main scenario fighters, right? I mean, we do have um, you know, there's some we could, you know, guy pipes, which the next story actually talks about a little bit. There's a drop from that. Um, but yeah, like that's as far as like people we can rely on on the source now to like, you know, kick some ass and take names. Like Estinian and Gaius are really the only people that we have. So we got our buddy over in uh, in the Far East. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the but they're they're the... busy. They're busy doing yeah. their things, though, right? All the people in the step, though, like you're you're kind of. You're kind of their boss a little bit. Like, hey, you you giant culture of warriors, I need to borrow you for a second. I mean... I mean, it's interesting, too, though, because I think those characters, at least on the step, they are also leading a people, right? So yeah. they have to sort of be there for the day-to-day -day and make sure that their, you know, tribes can actually survive and, and flourish. Whereas we have these other figures that are really interesting perspectives. I mean, especially Gaius, the fact that he's coming back to deal with the empire he was once a part of the system of, which is a perspective that we don't necessarily have outside of like Sid and, you know, a few of those other characters yeah. that we get. So having this, you know, once enemy turned ally is a really kind of interesting pivot. And the same kind of goes, I mean, they kind of match because Estinian also is kind of like that. He was an antagonistic force for a Don't long you time. Straight up fight him in 1.0. Don't you? Oh, I don't know. You fight him in the uh in the Rome Born Dragoon quest. Okay. There's yeah. Yeah, there's a, a brief period where yeah you fight him but it's it's yeah. you know dragon eyes and power and yeah. things don't always work the way you want them to so grumpy. And... such a grumpy <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's not forget we still have Hien and yugiri okay and they're not minor characters so that's yeah. true I mean, they got that's true you know, we, i mean come on we also have lease you know i mean they, they all Look, are she's she's kind of in charge of alamigo he is i know they're all doing things uh, but you could see that, that they can be maybe. reallocated you know yeah I would love to see more of Yugiri. I feel like they'll probably hold off on Lise for a while just because she was the focus yeah, of was, a lot of Stormblood. Yeah. So, but Yugiri is a character that I think is amazing, but we just don't often, I mean, get to really, really focus her uh, since she was introduced because a lot of it had to do with Hien and, and the step and, and or the Domen arc that kind of happened. Um, so yeah, I think it'd be cool to see more of her for sure. We, we were most focused on her when we couldn't see her face. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did you guys this is this semi-related and uh, if you haven't seen it then I'm gonna have to find it for you there is a picture of Estinian that somebody's drawn like like this in a corner and Kryle and Tatar are like this keeping him in the corner and it's adorable have you guys oh. not seen this I gotta find this for you I, have, I haven't seen it but that's that sounds pretty good it's, it's amazing quite honestly um, also get ready for a bad joke brings a new meaning to the words drag her Oh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, <laughs> not ashamed of that one. <laughs> I see in the chat, Moon Persona mentioned Arnvald and Fordola. And I think those are really good points. Fordola yes. we've seen developed. And I think Fordola has a big role to play in what's going to be happening, especially with the artificial echo and all of these different components to the Garlean machinations, you know, that they've been working on. 
I feel I feel like with with that being the case, um, probably like a five point four for that is is when the you know because we're gonna have to at some point right at this point I think six is probably Garlemald or something completely different, but we still need to really finish up Garlemald even if we're not gonna go there. Um, and they got to bring Fordola in. They got to, you know, Xenos, obviously, same thing, right? There's some stuff going on there with that artificial echo. Um, and so they, they need to address that. Um, Fordola did have a, a, a story like these, these Tales of the Shadows in that Chronicles of Light book, which I still haven't read. Um, but she has talked about a little bit in there. So um, that's definitely, you know, for people that are like, what happened to Fordola? Go check that out. Um, Speaking of stories to wrap up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I just, oh, I'm just looking at all that we still got to do. Oh my goodness. Okay. There's so much so, to discuss. It's fine. You know, they could have, they could have ended the story there. I'm sorry. This is fine. We got plenty of time. Um, but they, you know, after Astinian leaves, you can see that Tataru and Kryle are still there. They're, uh, back, uh, eating with, with Oren Kai and Tataru asks Kryle about that particular echo vision that she had of Astinian. And then Kryle kind of responds with a sarcasm, like a sarcastic comment saying, you know, whatever gave you the impression I saw such a thing. And, you know, I just kind of concluded that Astinian had been played, but we all know that the ends justify the means. And I think that's why the, the title of the story uh, was given as it is, which is Echoes of Delusion, because she really didn't see Straight the echoes. She faked line. it. She or or, or she did to... see some stuff and it was just Astinian in his room in Ishgard with a bunch of like Tataru posters from her modeling attempts. Oh. And it's like, you don't need to know about this. I'm it doing can. you a favor. How did your brain even come up with that? <laughs> I mean, she, she, you remember back, like we were talking about the mining earlier, right? Tataru mining and she was always trying something new to make money. Maybe she had a stint where she was trying a modeling gig for, for a week. I think I might be just uh, She seems so yeah. pure for that. She's so good. It's all high fashion. All right. <laughs> okay. There's the Anything picture else for the. You wanna you wanna add to to that story? No. no. Uh, well, yes, I I have oh. linked in uh, in the chat for the listeners, the current listeners, that picture I was talking about, and now I'm gonna throw it at you guys. Okay. Just for I a feel, cute little thing. I feel so bad. Right, He's just like, leave me alone. So There's cute. a gap though, right in the middle. He could squeeze. I mean, he could just jump. He could he jump, just, but they've jump. wore him down at this point, right? It's so cute. Anyway, you get out of that. That's if you, it. If you really <laughs> want to, if you really wanted to, you get out of that. Now he has to give up. <laughs> Oristinian. Okay. Um, I actually think the uh, the next two stories um, are are just are just super cool. They just I think they really yeah. really add a lot. Because this next story here, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a little bit of a paradox because it gives the story of kind of what happened, uh, uh, you know, in the Crystal Exarch's timeline where the eighth Umbral Calamity actually took place that led to him being freed from the Crystal Tower. But it didn't take place for us because we've changed history. So what happened but it didn't happen in, in that sense. You know, sense. everybody's so, starving like, yeah, for that they, information, right? Everybody's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, so, how did we get there? Um, there it is. Well, it's, it's just interesting. We got to, you know, if, if this is how they're going to play the uh, the time travel thing, 
uh, and the different timelines, uh, it, it seems possible that there you can now have two parallel timelines and both can be true, uh, but they're true depending on which person has experienced them. So um, we got to be able to keep that. We're done. Our minds, we have we're gonna... to take the soul stones back. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. So this actually comes from the perspective of not even an actual person, but from the Omega minion, which I think is just called OMG. It's <laughs> great. I was so excited about this. I can't even, when I started reading it and I was going, wait a second, wait a second. Is this Omega? Is this the little minion that's traveling with us? I mean, you only, we get to, in the end, eight man there with Alpha Scape and all of that series, we get this little glimpse at them, Omega finally realizing that humanity may have something, that there might be something more to them and that they've adopted this human form and now they're kind of trying to process this. And then to have them just get obliterated, I was going, no, <laughs> please be there. And 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 zero <laughs> mentions of Alpha in this. That's no, he true. was there. They he's mentioned there. Did he? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They refer I... to him as a small, the OMG's perspective of traveling with like the small yellow bird, which is really It, it talks good. about how he, he gets really sad <laughs> yeah. when, when someone dies. Like he's always oh, mentioned. Yeah. Oh, that's. Yeah. Oh, you know what it was? Okay, I was looking. The... I read the story three times. I know it's. I clicked. I clicked. <laughs> I... Yeah, I'm like I read it too, and I did. No, I I do remember that now. You're right. You're right. But it was just a really interesting thing to kind of have revealed through this. The fact that we didn't really know at the end of that storyline if you've done that that piece of the you know eight man and done all the story with that. We had no idea if the sentience that was Omega had been actually retained or if there was just this little mindless robot that was going around and the i mean it had to be right had to be. i mean we hoped but we didn't know and now having seen that the crystal tower played a role in so many events down the road it makes me wonder if there is going to be more about omega or midgard summer or all these different things to be. Oh. yeah those are people assume that oh there's only you know 14 shards but that's not true like we still have you know, Omega but we don't we don't know we don't know how far that goes out. I mean, if if because the shards are also kind of alternate dimensions and not technically like it's it's a weird thing, right? We don't know how that well, extends. Yeah, I mean, because we, we we know that space is much bigger than than kind of what we generally assume. But anyway, that's that's all speculation at this point. Yeah. Well, we we had asked we had asked Koji about that. Um, when was that? Fanfest. It's going to end um, up uh, looking very much like the Zelda timeline when it's all done. <laughs> let me, yeah, keep going. Let me, let me actually find the, the quote here. Okay. Uh, so while you're doing that, uh, so the interesting thing is that I'm just going to call him Omega, even though it's OMG. Okay. So in this story, he is recalling all the events from the eighth Umbral Calamity um, as he is observing uh, Sid Garland and the Ironworks crew as they try to rebuild everything and ultimately get to the point to where they, you know, unlock, um, you know, the crystal tower and deal with the uh, inter interdimensional rift and, you know, everything that's involved with that, you know, Alexander. So, okay. So after the events of the Gimlet Dark, um, the Alliance we know had the upper hand in the engagement. And at this point, Sid, Nero and the Ironworks crew, they went to the burn in order to fortify Sirius Wall in preparation for a possible um, Garlean counterattack, um, like a military counterattack, you know, with airships and stuff. 
However, um, the attack that the Garleans eventually used was not, um, uh, you know, uh, machinery in warfare, you know, in that sense. Uh, they were actually deploying the Black Rose. And so uh, Sid sadly figures this out because he tries to contact uh, the his, his friends in Alamigo and there's no response because they had all been annihilated. By That's the, the point Rose. in time where you're kind of like, what? Well, I mean, this this got dark really quick. This unintended. is this is not us anymore, is it? <laughs> yeah, we liberated uh, you. There's hundreds of people living here. Nobody can pick up the link. Oh, they're all gone. That's not good. Well, and here's the thing: it's 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 easy to kind of like hear the story or read the story and to say, oh, okay, well, that's just an interesting story. But the thing is, this actually happened. This happened, and this yeah. it, this had to happen in order for you know, us to eventually be called by the Crystal Exarch, okay? So, I mean, just, we're talking um, the destruction of civilizations. And, of course, if you're familiar with the geography of Alamigo, uh, it makes sense that when Black Rose was deployed there, that it spread into the Shroud and to Thanalan, and that resulted in a lot of other casualties, and, of course, being off over um, in the Far East, over uh, by the Burn, uh, Sid and Nero and most of the Ironworks people were spared uh, that um, that attack. I had a, a funny parallel thought uh, when I was reading this. Uh, not unlike the wave of light, it just kind of goes across the continent and like Limps is left over there by itself, sort of separated. They're like, yay, we're an island. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, water. Well, I don't think there was a yay. Well, but, but I get you. <clears throat> So uh, now, of course, how did Omega and Alpha um, survive? Well, they were in um, Ogamoro, okay? Uh, so they were away from where the Black Rose hit the hardest. And uh, Sid tries uh, to reach out to Omega, try to contact him, but Omega can't respond because he can't talk. But he's able to discern all this information. He's able to process it as best that he can. And so it's interesting that this is written from the perspective of Omega this little automaton minion trying to process everything that's going on, but he's like, I can't talk to Sid. I can't tell him anything. Okay. I, so I think it's we, also we, interesting that because he is a robot, he doesn't necessarily find this frustrating either. She's like, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> can't yeah, talk. And Stuff's happening. Yeah, that's it's what it is. Almost, it's almost better, I think. I, I agree. Absolutely. The big problem with him, I think the big problem with him when you see him in the Raid series is that he claims he's there to observe. He ever does is interfere. And so to then have to go into this sort of perspective where he is strictly observing and then logging this data and processing this data with these new sort of connection points, it gives him, I don't know, kind of a, a chance to reflect that we don't really get a sense of in any other point with his character. Mm. That's a fun point. Yeah. <laughs> I just like that. that it, it's, I don't want to say like a, a blank face, like recounting, that's what it is, yeah. but it's still because of, because of what it is, it's still very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We get our fill of Omega for the next two years and well, <laughs> there we go. That's all I need after that. Read, let me tell you. So the, uh, the effects of Black Rose we're familiar with it. They they halt the flow of ether, and that actually leads to death. 
uh, that wasn't limited to just people, okay? That also affected plants, it affected animals, and even the land itself. And the story goes and it tells us that this led to the imbalances of the flora and fauna. And so like entire societies are falling apart. I mean, organizations just completely broke down and nations are just abandoned as people are just kind of like seeking refuge from this particular airborne death. Uh, and I'm trying to emphasize it because again, this actually happened. Like it's not just some sort of fairy tale story that's making up. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. This is, I mean, this is a calamity um, in a very terrible, terrible, terrifying way. So, so the cities, um, the main cities are abandoned. People, I think they say they are reverting to, to beastmen type settlements. So right. everybody's, everybody's living in a tent with it's their very, tribe. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's funny because there's like, there's all these TV shows now and video games of kind of like the post-apocalyptic horror mm -hmm. and how people would respond, you know, um, the walking dead and like the fallout series and that sort of stuff. And um, it's just kind of, it's kind of easy to picture how, this kind of stuff would take place. Um, but not even the mighty Garlemald uh, could uh, resist the effects of it because since uh, Black Rose affected the land, it also affected the Cerulean, which was kind of the staple resource of the daily lives of the Garlean citizens. And so their Cerulean failed to combust. And this means that all of the machinery within the capital city uh, was un unable to, to move and to work. And so that, of course, led to the demise of even that mighty nation, um, which I'm pretty sure was something that even Emmett Silk had kind of um, foreseen with all that, because, you know, he he knows these things are going to happen. He's the one that oh. kind of introduced them to. To Cerulean. be fair, the, the Asians have made mistakes before. That's why the Void exists. So this could have just been a mistake. Oh, this will this will help to push stuff along. It wouldn't we form the uh, the light world back yeah. into yeah. the source. I mean, they, they, nope. they know they know a lot. They're not all knowing, right? It's like when the, the you know uh, XR came with the Crystal Tower, and it's like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. That's a that's a thing. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, I'm just speculating at this point, but yeah, yeah. Silk has basically kind of shown that he doesn't really care what happens to the Garland Empire with his ultimate plans. Like, okay, mm -hmm. yeah, he cannot name a successor. He doesn't care if it brings it into chaos. You know, he just he just doesn't care about that kind of That's stuff. That's a bonus. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, and he has a complete disregard for life forms as we know them, right? The idea that, you know, if all these people die, it's nothing because those aren't his people. They're not the people he's trying to right. save. They're not even real people in his mind. And right. It's easy to look at that and think this is so callous, but when you consider just the context of the world he came from and the, I mean, the fact that essentially all of the people that he, the people that we know of in the world to him are just kind of like a weird magical side effect split illusion. And he's just kind of going, well, if we get rid of all of this, it doesn't even matter. They're not real anyway, you know? And it's kind of terrifying because I think the Asians don't really give thought to those sorts of things. So mistake or negligence, you know, they could have just been like this in consequences, but does it actually matter? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, uh, they're very selfish. Um, of course you have to ask yourself, like if you were in their shoes, would you do yeah, the same exactly. thing? Yeah, exactly. They are selfish. So are we. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> I want my people back. I want to live. Battle so as you said, uh, that, that 
uh, you know, kind of humanity fell into this dehuman, dehumanizing uh, process. Their behavior was so bad. Um, the Ironworks crew, I'm just going to call them that, um, you know, they tried to, you know, remain above that and try to re remain cordial. Uh, they tried to end a lot of the conflicts. They were unsuccessful with that. Um, they even offered uh, food and safe haven to those who were exploited. And they even tried to hunt down those who were perpetrators. Uh, this led to some people kind of rallying to their cause. I mean, they, they try to play the good guys, the moral people in the midst of all of this chaos. Okay, I get that. They're, they're remaining kind of the only normal sense of society when everything is just on fire. So, unfortunately... If you think about it, it's sadly reminiscent of people today. Oh, we're screwing up our planet. Won't be alive then. Yeah. No. Yeah. The ironworks are, are the activists uh, that are like, but that matters. It still matters. Climate con control, climate yeah. change. Just putting that out there. Oh, man. Did I blow your mind a little bit? Well, I'm just like, <laughs> oh, man. The, the rabbit trails we can go down. Okay. All right. Focus, focus, focus. Okay. All right. I got to do this. All right. Um, see what you did there? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. Now, now I got to transition to something sad because, unfortunately... Our little Lollafell Ironworks buddy Wedge um, became a casualty. I mean, he was just mauled by one of the beasts. And you get this scene to where, like, he's at his bedside. They try to treat him. They're unsuccessful. His vitals are fading. Um, and his final wish is for his regaden friend um, Biggs to go on living and to start a family in order that his legacy would continue. And, of course, we know that the legacy of Biggs um, was, was really important. Um, and he replied to his dying Lollafell buddy that he should do likewise. And then, like, this is a sad note that um, Wedge kind of responds and he says, like, quote, unquote, sorry, no one will ever compare to her. And he's talking about Tataru. So Has looking to at be. Zanidra to see, like, how many tears. Oh, we man, no, that. that that was honestly, even though hmm. it was it was told from such like a blank perspective, this one has the most tears for me because they don't never at any point does he name anyone except for Sid and Nero. Everybody else, you kind of have to figure it out. So you're doing the whole like, no, it's not them. No, it's not them. Oh, it is them, you know, the whole time. <laughs> the reveals are really good. And I think it is, uh -huh. it's more impactful then because it kind of engages in the moment in this mm -hmm. way where you're, you are, you're thinking through it, but you're also trying to sort of I don't know, unravel this event that we will never see. And because of that, you end up with these kind of stakes in it as you're trying to pick apart all these different details. And it does, it hits harder when you realize, oh my gosh, I've lost these people. No little wedge, no. Yeah. Oh, Tataru died at some point, no. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you have to do that from a storytelling perspective. You can't just sit there and say, lots of people died, lots of people died. It only hits home when it's someone that's close to you mm -hmm. and it's someone you care about. Okay. <laughs> no. And it's someone you care about talking about someone that he cares about. So, um, extra tears. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a, a lengthy time of mourning. That's obvious. Um, and kind of sit in the ironworks game. They basically conclude that, okay, that we got to restore this world, but they realize that, you know what, we just, we don't have the means to do this. We just were physically unable to fix this dying world. And that's when the story tells us, or from Omega's perspective, 
that the Garland Ironworks, they find their true purpose. And Sid comes up with this radical idea that the past had to be changed in order for the world to survive. Now, um, as you know, if someone were to say this today, most people would be like, uh, you're crazy. And that's kind of what happened. A lot of people within the Ironworks did not approve of this. And Even the people who were, ties. yeah, still like morally bound, like, no, we should save the world. They're like, okay, crazy. buddy. Yeah. They all, they all walked out stealing office supplies on their way out. They're like, yeah. this isn't. I'm taking this stapler. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they, 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 they took stuff. Um, and, you know, so Sid is kind of like, he's having to work with other people. He's working with people that are um, skilled in magic and ethereal science. And then um, you also get the sense that our character, the Warrior of Light, and it's clear, we did die from the Black Rose. Okay? We, you know, we weren't killed uh, by the Garleans or by Xenos or battle if Black Rose killed us. And we learned um, that during the beginning of 5.0. Right, right. Yeah, we do, we do know that. So um, we, uh, Orianti wasn't totally lying. Yeah. Is he ever, like, totally ever telling the truth, though? Let's be no. honest. I'm never going to believe anything he ever tells me yeah. ever again. <laughs> That's what makes him a good character, though, is because, like, <laughs> we learn new things from him. I, I like him for that. But anyway, um, you know, he, our, our character, the Warrior of Light, um, we were so influential on all of these people. And the lasting impression of us kind of got the plan shifted from trying to rewrite history to actually saving the warrior of light and i'm sitting there thinking like okay that's good all of those silly side quests that i did for experience <laughs> um it's like all those those NPCs yeah. that like you know have like no name like gridanian guard you know like like we influenced all those people and and now they're like oh we remember the stories of the, and this is reflected upon like it's kind of touching story. that if they'd have phrased it, we want to go back to save the world. People are like, eh, we're kind of, we screwed up. It's, it's something we can do. But if right. it's like, we're going to go back and save the warrior of light, they're like, you know what? I want to do that. Yeah, uh, you're I, right. I, I, I prefer this marketing campaign over the yeah. other one. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's weird just... that, that it's like, warrior of light worlds. I mean, when you think about it, I think people latch onto individuals. Like when you yeah, think, what? Absolutely. What has the world ever done for me? You know, there's this mm -hmm. sort of cynicism, you know, the world doesn't care. The world isn't the kind of thing that has its own, you know, sentience or one opinion. And I think people kind of can can oppose that idea. Whereas if you say, what has the warrior of light done for me? Then it's a very personal thing. And that kind of gives you this connection where you're going, if I could do anything in these last hours to pay back what was given to me, why not? You know, why not? That that's something that is still giving me hope even in this dark time. It's it's really oh, it's interesting because time. like I can't say I've ever been in a situation like these NPCs have, right? But you can still yeah. sort of put yourself in their place and at least for me personally, I completely understand that mindset and I don't understand why. I, I appreciate being able to live on, on a planet. That's pretty cool. But you're right. When it's that individual, it gives you that drive you just don't have otherwise. Somebody you know, you know somebody you love. It's really kind of a cool a cool thing to think about, I guess. Warrior of Light killed three field mice for me, and I only gave him 200 gil. I feel like I owe him a little bit. Right. Let's, <laughs> let's see what we can do here. Come back. 
canonical payback. Okay. So this leads like even these small local settlements to donate to the cause of the ironworks. And the story mentions that they, you know, they, they give sacrificially. I mean, they, they give out of not their excess, but, but you know, what they have to survive. No um, one has excess. Yeah. Well, maybe they probably don't have much of it. Um, and then one of those persons that was donating was a Namazu, and he would he reported these visions from the big one. And if you ever did the Namazu side quest, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, yes. I found this is really really interesting because in the visions that he got, he says that the world did not look the way that it did currently, and that tells us that his visions actually depicted a time when the eighth umbral calamity never occurred and it's it's interesting that his visions uh envisioned actually the success of the 5.0 main story you know and we thought that these like these silly fish namazu were like they were nothing they were silly and i thought that they were like i don't know whatever they're I, still I, silly well it's, it's like those are real <laughs> those are real visions like yeah i thought oh what are you guys smoking like what you know you guys are just silly but I mean, it's the tea. It's, it's the tea, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something. It's something that's going. I don't know what the world they're drinking, um, but I don't know. It kind of like it made them worthwhile, and it's just a nice way to kind of like, hey, let's let's kind of plug them in here in a way that's um, not just kind of sprinkling them in, but kind of put them in in a really uh, impactful way. So, you know, kind of if you haven't done the uh, the Namazu side quest, then. Obviously, you're not interested in crafting and gathering leveling, but uh, you should go do the main. Oh, no, they're so should. good. They're pretty funny. They're so good. They're, they're hilarious. Plus, okay. it'll, it'll get you ready for uh, the Guardian thing coming up, right? That's right. right. That's yeah. Right. Okay. And we all need to help with that because that's how we get Guardian housing. Everyone needs to do their part. Okay. And it's world by, world by world. Yeah, so... Yeah. Help your help your world, not just your warrior blade. Right. Full circle. Help everybody. <laughs> and then you could respond appropriately and say, "Hey, what has the world done for me?" Anyway, okay. Got you Ishgard right. housing. That's important. There you go. Yeah, got you. Okay. Yeah, that's no small feat. Okay. We get a bonus uh, tales from the shadows, and it's just, "What has the world ever done for me?" Ishgardian housing. Oh, cool. No, yeah, we'll help. We'll help. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that house. Sure. Okay, so it's neat because they they plug in a lot of other side characters in this about how they uh, they help the various Ironworks crew. Um, we actually see that one of the transport vessels from the Ironworks gets ambushed, but they get rescued by an airship captain who was the daughter of um, Radlia, uh, and she was kind of the blonde uh, back in the uh, 24-man quest that unlocked the Void Arc. Um, I know it was like years ago, but... Uh, we actually see you. Void you know, Ark. Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. It was the first 24 man in, uh, in, in the in the mock series. Okay. Um, I like those. Okay. Uh, we Thank also you. hear about uh, a turtle in the Ruby Sea, and that's our new quote unquote Ginbu, which is Sorbonne, most likely. Uh, Dimension of White Dragon. We know who that is. That's no doubt Race Felger. So um, he's just like, I don't want to have anything to do with all this. I'm going to fly away from all of this nonsense. And that's exactly what he would do. Wait, didn't he uh, ask if people were still beating each other up, basically? <clears throat> no? Something like asked, that. I think he does. He asked about the chaos. Yeah. I, I assume is probably a test of whether or not he thinks 
people have changed, right? Mm-hmm. Because we know he's still holding on to that thorn in his side from well, and, the conflict. And people have been become worse. People backslid during this. So yeah. Mm-hmm. is it safe to fly down? No. Yeah. No. He knows Stay better. Home. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So unfortunately we also see the end of Sid's life and this is something that Omega witnesses. Uh, and at the time of one Sid's tier. death, yeah, one tier, uh, even Nero is still alive. And he's still doing his kind of like sarcastic things that he's done. Um, they share some coffee from their boil master. Um, but you kind of get the sense that Nero has, has definitely changed. He's no longer, you know, the competitor of Sid like he is when you spam main story roulette over and over and over again for leveling. Um, he, he, he respects Sid as a colleague. And I swear, like, Nero is Vegeta. That's exactly who he is. He's gone from the competitor to the colleague. Walking around in his pink Batman shirt, just yeah. making remarks Please, someone at Sid. Thank you. So. I'm not going to lie. Out of You've been talking about all of your tears that you've shed. I, out of everything, this one got me. Because yeah. you get so used to these loops of just character behavior. And we see this all the time, this sort of playful antagonism between them. Is Nero or isn't he actually on our side? Is he going to betray us at some point? And when I got to this point in the story, I think it really hit home for me. Oh my gosh, something different has happened. Like something really Mm. terrible has happened. And they've come through this. And the one bright point is the fact that through all these terrible calamities, they've, they've found, I think, that place of trust and respect for each other again. And I was a mess. I'm sitting there just like, oh oh my God. They're friends now, and they're gonna die. <laughs> like who said? Who said <laughs> oh, but it was so good. It's such a such a good resolution for the two of them. But it makes me wonder: is he actually gonna go that way without this kind of calamity? We don't know. Yeah, exactly. That was my thought as well. Like, mm-hmm. if the world doesn't get totally screwed, is he still gonna stay a jerk? Yeah. <laughs> He's a good jerk, though. Like, at least he'll make us fancy armor and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So then the story kind of ends. It's like, okay, they investigate into the Crystal Tower, into the Primal Alexander, and the Interdimensional Rift. We knew all this stuff if you didn't skip your cutscenes, uh, unlocking the twinning. Um, and then Omega notes uh, that all three of these, I thought this is interesting, the Crystal Tower, Alexander, and the Interdimensional Rift story have one thing in common. They each involve a key character entering into a self imposed exile and uh you know there's some of these are clearer to kind of define than others but um i don't know it's kind of an interesting point that from his perspective as he's trying to catalog yeah. catalog everything that's going on um that stood out to him i think foreshadowing yeah maybe some foreshadowing mm. one i mean there's also the idea of somebody making a great sacrifice in order to make way for a better future and sometimes that sacrifices this exile but i it's funny that that note really stood out to you bill because what really stood out to me in that last bit was his realization about hope and the fact that um like we were saying the whole time he's kind of this neutral observer and he doesn't really have an opinion he doesn't even give names to people he's just observing he's or they are just observing they're just a, a part of the of almost the documentation process of all of this. And then at the end of all of this to say, 
I have been affected by what happened. I realize not just what they call hope, but I realize what hope is for myself was so powerful. Um, it was it was almost bewildering to have that moment and then have it taken away. And again, it makes me wonder, I mean, if we kind of look back at the timeline, Omega should in theory still be a consciousness that exists because it's not like the reset of time goes so far back that it would change what happened at the end of the actual raid itself. So again, what, what role could Omega play in a future if we know it's possible for Omega to have a human reaction or a human emotion? Mm. Well, we know in, in O12S, it was in order to understand your strengths, I must understand your weaknesses. And that's when he does Omega male and female. So we know that he's already made the, you know, the, the transition uh, to try to understand humanity and their strengths and the hope that kind of pushes them. But yeah, I think you brought up a really good point that I, uh, I probably should have emphasized. I appreciate you saying that. Do you think uh, that each Omega can talk to other Omegas? Because he does span different dimensions to pick up different people that you fight and stuff. That would be fascinating. Would, that would be what really if amazing. our Omega learns what other Omega learns and then that, that bit of um, self-sacrifice thing is what he does? Well, here's the other <laughs> the other question to think about, right? Because this is, this is the alternate timeline, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are we going to go back to that at all? Or is this it? Well, yeah. Also, at the the end of um, what I guess Heaven's Word, yes, uh, we unleash Omega to try and stop the crap that's happening. Hmm. So it would mm-hmm. be kind of an an interesting end to Omega to be like, hey, well, or even if if they take the initiative themselves, like they were a thing we were trying to use to save everybody, and then at the end of this expansion, they are a thing that has become a person unto themselves that decide to make that decision to save everybody for themselves. It'd be kind of a, an interesting cycle. I love that. I didn't even think about that, Sneijer. That would be such a cool way to sort of push forward that story, and also the fact that maybe because I had trouble understanding why that was focused. So why does why does Omega make that observation that they've gone into this self-imposed exile? But when you think about it, Omega's kind of in a self-imposed, well, outside imposed <laughs> exile because of its actions and the idea of seeing people who do this out of sacrifice or to help the world. And then maybe having this realization about hope or the future could lead to something down the road where maybe Omega starts to see itself not as this antagonistic force working against mortal peoples, but as a force that could, mm-hmm. I don't know, somehow help them or be relevant to them. Uh, in the chat, we've had uh, there could be two Omegas in the same timeline if Omega's in the twinning in that crystal tower. Like, that thing bops around. True. Mm-hmm. So they just they just have, like, a little tiny Omega uh, high five, transfer the info, and he's like, oh, dude, I got stuff to do. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we know Omega came to the source because he was searching um, for Midgar Stormer. That was the purpose. Uh, and he got injured by doing that. And um, so I don't know. There's, there's a. There's more we could talk about that, I guess. Yeah. Say. There's, there's more. I, I, I have, I have some yeah. maybe slightly different opinions on the matter, but that's, that's I don't, not the time or the place. So no pun intended. Add it to the list. Haha, <laughs> Tyra. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, there list. we go. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Uh, is there anything else uh, you all wanted to comment on with the Omega story? Uh, approximately four and a half tiers. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
you guys can't see it on the podcast, but Fusion is just bawling his eyes out right now. So crying so hard. <laughs> okay. All right. So on to the final story, which is called Through His Eyes, and it is through the eyes of Emmett Selk. Um, man, I feel like I learned more from this story than I learned from the other three, maybe even the other three combined. Um, so fascinating, and I hope that it allows Emmett Selk to continue to somewhat be a character in the story. Like, I know he's he's dead. I get that. He's gone. Um, but that doesn't mean that... People die and don't die all the time or, in the story. Or, um, I mean, you know, echo visions and stuff like that or stuff that happened, you know, prior to uh, the Sundering. So, okay. So it's called Through His Eyes and it gives two different stories, two different glimpses of reality, you might say, through Emmett Selk's eyes. One of them before the events that we witness in the Amarant dungeon and one of them before the seventh Umbral Calamity. Okay, so this, this actually gives us a lot of information as to what life and civilization was like on the source before, um, you know, things went crazy. Okay, so it's, for those people that are interested in that, here's your chance. You get good stuff here. It's all brand new. Okay. Um, it's interesting that Emmett Silk, he's able to actually look and see like the ether. That's just kind of like, to, I'm like looking up in the air, like no one can see me do that, but he can see <laughs> the ether that's there. And in the first story, which is before what happened in the Amarat dungeon, he sees it and he comments that it, it's just bright, it's beautiful. But then the aether after six calamities worth of rejoining, it's like, it's sickly, it's, it's like, a candle that's almost about to be, you know, be blown out. It's a huge difference. And, and like, he gets disgusted by that. He is frustrated at that. Like it's, he doesn't like that. So that's something we can't see. We can't see the, um, the ether like he does. Um, so it's kind of another way of seeing things through his eyes. Um, okay. So the first tale begins um, before we have Zodiac and Heidelin summoned. Okay. So just kind of keep that timeline straight in your mind here. Um, Emmett is kind of like, He's out in the grass. He's just kind of like, you know, lying down and he is congratulated, um, you know, for his newly acquired title as the Honorable Emmett Selk of the Convocation of the Fourteen by our buddy um, Himladeus. Okay, so that's so so we, we know that the meeting of the Fourteen to to deal with uh you know, their problems that ultimately led to the summoning of Zodiac that hasn't taken place yet, but it's, it's, it's close. Okay. He, he's, he's just been, he's just received his title. Um, and we also learn a little bit of what they call the underworld. Okay. Now we have known of the underworld as what uh, we, we call it the life stream. Okay. It's kind of where, where, where souls go when they depart from their bodies, you know, upon death. Okay. But they call it the underworld. And apparently that was the original designation. It was known as the underworld for that. Okay, um, and of course the connection with Hades is obvious um, because the uh, the Greek word Hades denotes actually the realm of the dead um, in some ancient Greek and Jewish cultic practices. Um, actually, modern Greeks would pronounce it as Abyss instead of Hades, um, Alpha, Delta, Eta, Sigma. Just nerding out there a little bit. Okay, um, <laughs> I think it's actually interesting that since we have the realm of the dead, that actually it confirms that death was taking place before the first calamity. 
Okay. So even though he talks about how, oh, we're immortal and everyone was immortal, death was just a natural thing. People would die, souls would go down to the underworld, and then souls would come back and they would reconstitute new life. Um, but that was just a normal, regular thing. Uh, I didn't know that. And maybe I just missed it. But I thought that was kind of, kind of fascinating. It wasn't like this perfect utopia where there was no death and then death kind of entered in. Uh, no, it's just kind of normal. I don't know. What, what do you all think of that? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean that we, I don't think we had any hints that, or, or I don't think the game ever told us like, yeah, they're all immortal and it's just great. It's just, we had this, this idea that they were on, on this planet and there were, we knew that there were, there were other civilizations as well. They, they hinted at that a little bit. Um, but we had, you know, it, it could have just been life as, as usual. You know, I mean, they obviously they had society a little figured out more. You know, they weren't, you know, they were all kind of like prim and proper. And it's if we have issues. Let's rent a debate room and go talk about it. You right. know, like, um, but yeah, I thought I it was interesting was that they were long lived. Um, yeah, you know, like theoretically 14 times longer than us. Yeah, I mean, Emmett seems to, and this is where I think some of this confusion comes from, he seems to refer to the fact that there is, for him at least, this massive division between the way that mortals as we know them now either succumb to illness or die, their weak flesh, their mortal flesh, all these different kinds of things that they're, you know, kind of people just drifting by that, that vanish or die to really inconsequential, inconsequential things versus whatever the the Asians or the people of Almorant used to have. So it makes me wonder what that differentiation was. If death happened, was it something that was chosen? Was it something where a physical body wore down? Or was it that what was different that gave them immortality was that their souls were still intact and could be retrieved from the life stream and that same consciousness could continue to exist? There's so many, there's still a lot of questions, but this does confirm, it seems, that people do return to some kind of source. That they do die, in a sense, even in this ancient society. I think we actually get an answer to one of those questions you asked, because when we learn about the phoenix, you get the impression that it was uh, someone who died, but they, they really didn't want to die. It, it, was, it was like a, a soul that didn't want to go to the underworld. It was reluctant on doing that, so... Um, but I mean, I think you're right. Like there's just a lot of speculation and I hope we learn more about, you know, the origins of our um, cosmology. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, as we said, right? Like Emmett Selig is, he's gone, but we still have this giant city at the bottom of the ocean that might have something to explore or, you know, maybe we'll get another dungeon or maybe we'll go back for dungeon, you know, a couple MSQ. With then. the word cosmos in it. We still have a lid of this. I mean, we still have someone who was alive at that point. You know, we still, I mean. Well, um, I mean, all of that to be said, we also have our protagonist, which we'll get to hear more in this discussion. Mm -hmm. But as we continue to, I mean, possibly reabsorb our pieces of ourself, I guess you could say, um, will we remember things? Will we almost start to remember back through this timeline? I, I have no idea. But it could be really fascinating if we get to explore that in future X packs as well. It'd be interesting because you know, going back to like 1.0 and a, you know ARR, it's, there's been that idea of like, oh, Gaius was right, the primals are bad, and we need to stop them, and all this stuff. And now we're gonna be like, oh yeah, no, the Asians were totally right the, this whole time. And I can I can remember you know going on long walks in Amarat with this person that was probably my significant other, 
and yeah, let's just rejoin every. Let's just do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're probably gonna have to pick in the end, right? Everybody's that would like, be what? amazing. Like, <laughs> the the, the, the final choice of Final Fantasy fourteen. Yeah. do you do the rejoining or not? Yeah. I'm operating under the hypothesis that actually everything that Emmett Silk has told us is true. I believe that, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that Emmett is a liar. I think that it's just that his truth or his version of the truth mm. is his perspective. And what he tells us or doesn't tell us I mean, what he's told other people could very much be lies, but it seems like everything we've heard from him has been a truth, whether it's his perspective or not, you know? Well, we that's already... the way it is for all yeah. of us. Like yeah. everything we tell is, you know, hopefully the truth mm. from our own perspective. And and certainly we were led to believe some things from Heidelin's perspective of the truth. She might not have been as forthcoming. Created uh, beings but... aren't perfect. Yeah. Oof. Good point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So not only do we get in the story some interesting backstory of Emmett Silk, we also learn about Hithlodeus, okay? Uh, we learn that he is the chief of the Bureau of the Architect, okay? His parents must be very proud, okay? And so <laughs> he approaches Emmett Silk and he congratulates him while he's on the lawn. Um, but I think it's interesting, Emmett actually reminds Hithlodeus that he turned down the honor of being on that that board of 14. And I think this is really huge because actually Hithlodeus could have been one of those three unsundered Assians had he merely taken the opportunity that he just decidedly passed over to Emmett Selk. Mm -hmm. um, and so people who are fans of Four. Hithlodeus, I'm sure would be very happy um, that he did defer it to Emmett Selk. Or he a... could have uh, kept the 14 from making some choices that maybe Emmett Selk influenced. Yeah. There might well, not be any Asians at all. Good uh, job, H dude. I like him. I, I do too. Uh, well, he really operates, I think, as a sense too of what Emmett has lost. The fact that when you actually get to the city, there's all these faceless people. And so for you, it's kind of, it feels like a ghost town. But when you sit down and you actually have this, this discussion with Hythodius and you're going, oh wait, these were people that had friendships and relationships and were close. You can realize kind of, I think a little bit more tangibly what Emmett is fighting for. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah. We, we learn that both Emmett and Hithlodeus are able to see and discern uh, the underworld. They both are able to see uh, the ether. Uh, so he, he's not just like a minor NPC. I mean, he's, a, he's still a, a very talented um Amorotine, I guess you could say. I don't necessarily want to call him an Asian, but uh I'll just call him a ancient. A, a, an ancient. ancient. There you go. Okay. Um okay. Now he held uh the highest office of the Bureau of the Architect, which was that institution that oversaw the create uh the creation of concepts. Um this this next point, um super interesting. Okay. <laughs> he ask Hippodeus asked Emmett Selk if he has informed quote a certain someone who is our friend of Emmett Selk's recent promotion okay now the prevailing theory that's out there um, which I think is almost certainly true is that the warrior of light our character it was says. that one person of the 14 who was the dissenter at the idea of summoning Zodiac okay now in the French version of this story that's online, okay, 
you actually have to toggle on the screen your gender as the warrior of light and your choice that you make is reflected on the gender mm. of this word our friend so that practically confirms this theory in my my opinion i mean we are definitely we are the friend that is being referred to in this okay that's whether we are that one yeah well it's it's i think it's interesting that's it's yeah yeah gotta know that so um i think some people speculated on that and that's definitely kind of like that's where yoshi p has been putting that carrot in front of our head to kind of look in that direction um and i wouldn't be surprised okay i would not be surprised that we just you know we were formerly friends of Emmett Selk and Hippolydeus, but due to all the sunderings, we just don't remember this. And this is why at the very end, after we finish the MSQ, Emmett Selk tells us to remember, remember, you know, it's, um, And why he's hopeful that, that we can handle stuff because it, yeah. it means we're closer to the being that we once were. Right. And then we're going to remember, and then we're going to remember that we killed Emmett and we're just be like, ah, sorry, buddy. Whoops. Like, I didn't Whoops. recognize you. Why didn't you <laughs> tell me? Yeah. That's actually that's actually your significant other the whole time you killed oh, him. Boy. Good job. Oh, boy. Look, I'd be so down, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I, he's my little Emmett Salk is my little trash baby and I love him. And I I was so glad that we got this story with him because it is so interesting to get into all of this and what our relationship was with him and or what we might owe to the Asians as we know them now going forward if we do start to remember these things or if in a future expansion or in our patch content we get the point where we get to actually meet zodiac or we get to like talk with the Asians with this new knowledge that we have that's a totally different conversation than these faceless antagonists that we've had previously and I think they could do some really cool things there with the possibilities of what we discover. Well, we're already on well on our way to talking to Zodiac, I think, because we already we picked up the what we assume is the Oracle of Darkness in the raid. Right. Yeah. Good point. Hmm. And and Xenos has some plans on this too, and so does Elidibus. So we might get our answers um, sooner than we think. So I'm looking forward to it. Please look forward to it. <laughs> so so hungry for this info. At no other point in the storyline have I just been like, a tidbit. As, as soon as I got to Amrat, I'm just like, give me everything. I just yes. It's so <laughs> good. I just can't. I can't remember a time in an MMO, let alone. I mean, even an RPG that I've had such a just one 180 reeling emotion response to something. And when you first crest over like that hill and you see the yes yes hidden and you get all of these truths and those final cutscenes, and then the parties are getting into that final battle where you like merge and you stand up and he has that moment and it's one of my favorite emmett moments but that moment where he looks at you and for a second he sees what we assume is who we were yeah and it's even just talking about it i get chills but it is so compelling and it's opened this door, even as we've gotten question, or answers to questions, it's opened this door to more answers and, and more story as opposed to shutting doors, which is really a cool thing for the community, I think. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's something that they've talked about with, with Shadowbringers is they have all these loose ends that they've been establishing since 1.0. And they're like, we need to answer some of these. <laughs> like, we can't just keep making new questions. We to need to Jeopardy like- Bring Jeopardy back up. They started yeah. with answers. <clears throat> We need to we need to figure this out and start to kind of wind down not, not to 
necessarily like wind down to the end of the game, right? But we need to, at some point, this Asian arc is going to end. And obviously, there's things to do in you know on the source after that. But we got to figure out what are the Asians? Where did they come from? What's you know what are they doing? We need to figure this out. And I think the way that they did it was something that I don't think anyone was expecting. Um, and like you were saying, Rook, that that scene where you come over and you see Amrod for the first time, I was just I was breathless from that scene. I was just like, "What is this? Like, holy crap!" Like, and then you get in there and you start talking to the NPCs, and then you run into Hithodeus, who's aware of what he's in, yeah. Um, which might play into a little bit of what we're going to get into in a second here. But yeah, it's just it's wild. I love it. I, I just everything Amrod. I just give it to me. I want it. I want to know more about it. I want to know everything that there is to know. Uh, I, I do want to talk about uh, about Phoenix, because that was actually mentioned in the story, yeah. and I think yeah. there's some really interesting implications for this. So, um, so Hippolydeus basically says, hey, we've got this thing that was created, kind of. Can you come look at this, Emmett Silk? And he's like, fine, whatever. Like Exactly um, like that. <sighs> Yeah, I just so, need, I need a fellow a per, a professional's opinion on this matter. I've well, rented a it, debate room for us where we can <laughs> observe my creation. It, you get the sense that, like Solace, like I don't call him Solace, uh, uh, Emmett. He, it's like he he appreciates his solitude. He he doesn't want to be bothered. Mm -hmm. Okay, he's and like he a Sinian. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought that too. I thought I was like, wow, they're they're very similar in that way. Okay, um, <laughs> okay. So we basically see like the creation of Phoenix, but it's not created in a normal way that things are created. It's kind of worded as like there was a drifting soul from someone that died that was on its way to the underworld. Okay. But there were it raged against the pole of the underworld and it merged with um like all this creation magic and it was just super confusing. It was magic woven together with this drifting soul. So it's not a living thing. Drifting tender. And it's it's not a primal. We gotta, we gotta make sure because it's not a primal. <clears throat> but it's definitely like an accident, okay? Okay. <clears throat> um, now, I went back and I, I looked at the description. You pull up the Firebird mount and you read the description and it claims to be like an old Doman legend. But it actually appears, this is interesting to me, that the legend goes all the way back before the sundering and phoenix precedes hmm. zodiac and heidelin themselves i thought that was fascinating it was just really really neat that was one of my favorite parts going through through amarat when you you learn like hey you know like that one weird like enemy yeah they made it oh yeah. okay <laughs> <clears throat> yeah and it's, it's, yeah this makes uh, me wonder if there might be some kind of tie because for a long time, this is this is me just totally, totally going off the rails with some speculation. But for a long time, I've wondered why we had the redundancy of both Phoenix, which obviously is a tie to the larger Final Fantasy series. If you've done um, Binding Coils and you know about Louis Swalla and becoming Phoenix and all this sort of element mm -hmm. that goes into that. And then the Firebird. And the fact that these are two very different entities, but they share a similar legend seemingly source, something like that, right? And if the Firebird, at least, I love what you're thinking here, Bill, with maybe the Firebird is the actual original creation that somehow managed to stay intact and has existed through to our day. But I mean, is it possible that 
Louis Swaw becomes Phoenix, maybe, I mean, maybe he is a fragment of Hyphlodius that still remains and that creates this imagery for him. Maybe, um, I mean, maybe the life stream, we don't really know how time works with the life stream, but is it possible as well that maybe even something happens there with a raging soul that if it transcends time and space could have had something to do with Louis Swaw's death, merging with the life stream and creating a Phoenix. I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting that they decided to bring up Phoenix here and, and have this be something that is so relevant in this story. I think actually the connection that you're making with uh, Louis Swaw, who obviously um, had, had us go around and pray to all these different altars of, of the 12 and you know we summoned all of that ether in his hopes to kind of prevent Dalamud, and that of course kind of brought about this primal uh, and we have precedent for that in a lot of other ways but so that's not so out of place there but i just think it's interesting that um in this story emmett silk is watching the phoenix fly around and it's like it's like running into a wall it's exploding there are like broken feathers falling over the place and then it would it just heal itself and it would just like breathe fire and it's like this out of control crazy bird and Emmett Silk has to kind of like set it on its way so Emmett Silk kind of like focuses it from being this out of control thing and the irony is that the summoning of Phoenix is actually what prevented most of the uh, seventh umbral calamity that Emmett Silk actually wanted to take place I actually think that's that's kind of interesting if you kind mm. of put it in that perspective yeah you know it's interesting too i mean they, they talk about the way that this this phoenix is obviously not in its right mind it's kind of crazy it's you know running into to, to windows and stuff you know it i know it's not suzaku but i saw a lot of parallels with with that and like her state of mind um and Good just point. you know Good point we know that suzaku originally was just a bird that for whatever reason was fiery and part of her story is that people think she is the legendary phoenix and mm -hmm. everybody keeps mistaking her for that and hunting her and she's rescued right yeah and that almost through that perception and the power of that perception of other people and and with what she could be she almost makes herself into the image of phoenix as we know um which could again all trace back to this exact same point in time this same legend this same historical moment mm -hmm. yeah well that's we know that's how these primals work actually there was a there was an interview that fusion did with koji like years ago where koji actually said something like this he said you know titan might look different depending on what society summons him you know it, it's kind of mm -hmm. all based on their mind and of course we know that um you know our buddy magni in the azim step you know what does he have he's got a uh titan axe you know, he's, he's got he's got got the axe. Uh, so we know that they they've had their own uh, summoning things that have gone on there. We know obviously from the Eden story that there are different ways that you can conceive mm -hmm. various primals. Um, <laughs> Shinryu is. I mean, there, we we had so much precedent for this. Yeah. So it's not surprising that Phoenix Firebird can be conceived in different places at different times in different ways. So I think it's it's that idea of going back to primal essences is really yeah. is what it gets back to. And so you could still have, you know, a Phoenix or an Ifrit or a Leviathan looks different, has two heads, drives around in a go kart, but it, there's still like that little bit of it that's the same. And so yeah, I mean that that could be the case for for Suzaku. Maybe there's there's that one part of her that's drawing upon you know that aether or that part of the underworld that's 
originally from from this story. Yeah. She was absolutely inspired by it. Like, she knew about it, obviously, because people were hunting uh, her yeah. for it. But um, eventually, when it, it came to that point, she was like, this is this is what I want to be, and so I'm going to be. And that's, that's where her transformation came in. I really like the idea of uh, Louis Waugh being part of Hithlodius, though. I think that's... <laughs> I don't know how, awesome. how likely that is, but yeah. just that little detail would be really cool. There's literally nothing else that supports it, but I mean, except for maybe the fact that we do see some similarities, I guess, with personality. You could sort almost of a, say. a guidance, a point of guidance, a guidance, a mm. mentor, yeah. um, somebody who's passionate about the act of creation. Um, I mean, we can kind of get all of these things, but I think without any other information, that is something that would be a wild speculation on my part. But it's not completely outside of the realm of possibility. You know that. Linking that a little further, I mean, thinking back to Binding Coil, we have those those last few cutscenes where Louis Swa is like, "Oh, I I know I'm enthralled by Bahamut, like I you know self aware of what's going on, just like you know, like it's there's a lot of of parallels you can draw there." Yeah, and, but and, yeah, his knowledge too. I I mean. It's possible that without even realizing it, he obviously could have just spent a lifetime learning, but the fact that he kind of accomplishes what nobody else would have been able to, this manifestation of the creation of the 12, even though it fails, mm -hmm. uh, there's something there that, I mean, maybe you could say, yes, this could have been an echo of a memory that he had of, of the art of creation. He would or... theoretically have to be uh, one of the 14 slivers of somebody who was powerful to manage something like that. Yeah. Today on Aetherite Radio. <laughs> Everybody get your tin hats out. Let's do this. Right. Well, that's that's what Koji says. Speculate, speculate, <laughs> speculate. And that's mm -hmm. that is what is taking place here. <clears throat> so uh basically Hithlodeus has to get Emmett, who is a really strong mage, to kind of get the firebird to calm down. And what he does is he gets him to assume this big massive form that Hippodeus at the end has to like look up in the air and like see. And I, I get the impression that this is like the transformation that we saw in the final trial. Okay. In order to use his full power, he's got to transform into this like big monster thing. Um, super interesting. Okay. Um, so that, and that's kind of, that's the end of that half of the story. Sorry, were you going to say something? No. Okay. But do you um, I might have another tin hat to pull out. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of transformation is not new to us. Well, it's newer. There has been a series of cutscenes that to, to this day through Shadowbringers have really stood out for me from Stormblood. And I think Stormblood for me as an X-Pack was, was, was okay. I mean, we got really good characters, but what really caught my imagination were those final discussions that we have about the nature of the Echo. And they are some of the absolute last cutscenes in the whole game. But this idea that those who are possessed of the Echo are in theory able to harness the power of a primal and not be consumed by it and or become a primal themself, themselves through, through Shinryu, through Gosh, even if we go back to Isail, who is so mm -hmm. tragic, because when we learn what we learn in Stormblood, we have this whole discussion in Heavensward about Isail and whether or not she has been corrupted by the force of Shiva. But we know she also has the Echo. So is it possible that she was able to use that force 
with her own actual power and control. And this whole time has been doubting herself because of what we think we know of the Echo at that point, but could use this power. And now we see here with Emmett Salk, the idea of transcending physical form to adopt a more powerful form, which theoretically can use and wield more aether, and that looks very much like a primal, and that is a trial for us, which are usually primals, and it makes you wonder if the echo is an extension of the memories or the the resound like the resonance between souls that may have existed all the way back to Amarat. Is it possible that Emmett adopting this form is a confirmation of this? That those who possess the echo or may be, you know, a more intact soul could theoretically um, become a primal and still control it. You know, this doesn't exactly address what uh, you were talking about, but it occurs to me that when we get to the end of uh, academia, uh, that transformation that Hithlodius does makes You're him so right. uh, into Quetzalcoatl, um, who is labeled specifically as a guardian force. Yeah. Which uh, I assume is just a reference to eight, but maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's a thing that the uh, ancients did. Maybe that's yeah, what Hades think. was supposed yeah. to be, guardian force. Yeah, we, we do know some concrete information about, about the Echo. Or, we know that it wasn't until the Agrius fell into um, you know, into the waters there uh, in Mardona, and that kind of like blew out whatever it was that it blew out. And that was the point to where the Echo was kind of opened up among people. It wasn't there before that. Uh, and yet primal summoning was taking place prior to that. So, um, you know, how it all works out, I'm not exactly sure. But we One of these days, we're going to find out what was at the bottom of that lake. In the in the chat, kind of, kind of where... I know Anonymous wants to know. Yeah, in the chat, kind of where I was leading. Um, in 8, you junction a guardian force. Uh, in 14, uh, primals, maybe they're a primal that, that you junction with or you form with, um, which is a perfect example in Shiva. Maybe not hmm. so much in uh, Quetzalcoatl, but we don't exactly see what happens there. Um, what was the other thing? There was one more thing, which is gone now. But the <laughs> the the beginnings the beginnings of a theory there, uh, and yeah. it, it could be that um, the existence of a thing that is a primal that is created in that way is uh, inspired by that uh, guardian force transformation and or junction uh, to to begin with. Uh, the fact that uh, it requires a, an a, immense amount of aether to make a primal uh, would be something that the people from then could just have done, could have manifested on their yeah. own. So they're, they're they pretty bad? good with doing that stuff. Or are I mean, we they, just they... doing it wrong? <laughs> I mean, we couldn't make a robe out of a lightning cluster, so I think we just have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's another example, Thornton. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be pretty epic if down the road at some point we were able to ourselves in the story or in some kind of fight or in some kind of quick time or, you know, whatever it is. As long as I don't turn into a motorcycle, I don't care. (laughs) Oh, I was going to say, I just want it to be if we turn into a motorcycle. Well, okay. No, I mean, mean, you can be a motorcycle. Maybe we'll have choices. (laughs) Very cool, though. You can have a motorcycle and I'll pick something else. That would be awesome. That could be, I mean, who knows? Finale material. We don't know. But This is where we need Charles to be like, all right, so this is part of the summoner job. (laughs) Uh. So yeah, think think about that as you travel through the story, everybody. 
guardian force what does it really mean <laughs> that's actually a really good point Sandra. i didn't even i had not registered that about the end of that dungeon and i was feeling a little bit gypped that quetzalcoatl got put at the end of a dungeon because eight's right. one of my favorite yeah mm -hmm. but if it has that kind of significance and I also, is that actually, is that um, Hythodius that's there that turns into Quetzalcoatl? I'm not 100%. Okay. I'm not sure. You I'm going to have to go back now. Because that would be an incredibly huge and important thing that I just did not pick up on. Right. <laughs> so. I, don't, I don't think that's. I don't think it's a named right. character. Yeah. yeah. He's not named. Hmm, I wonder if there's anything about his clothing. I think he just looks like a generic. Yeah. Go back and look at the, uh, the document pickups and see. Yeah. If it. If it is just a rando, still kind of applies. So yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. it still demonstrates it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think we've seen the last of Hitlodeus, so I, I hope not. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not gone. So I'm waiting for him to like, like taking control of the the Amarat like simulation or whatever, right? Like, because he he knows it's a simulation. Emmett's gone. He's like somebody's got to keep this up, and so. I mean, it's still there. It didn't go away. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I don't know if that's just game mechanics wise or if it's purposefully a thing. Right. You know. Yeah. It's only they can just get rid of the area now. <laughs> we yeah. Oh, that was a cool area, huh? And it's gone. <laughs> neat, neat, neat. <laughs> I was scared, honestly, that first playthrough that it was going to vanish after we went through. And there's like a little line where they say, oh, it was really powerful. So the magic's going to linger or, you know, whatever it is. And I was so glad because I wanted to just go through and pick everything out. Um, but I do wonder if, as we get more into this, if those glimpses of Emerald are done, or if maybe we will get some kind of, even if it's just a mental landscape that we go through at some point, um, some kind of map or place that we get more of that would be really cool. I think the reason um, my mind made the connection to Hyclodius instead of Rando was uh, th that arena was sort of what I imagined when he's like, hey, come check out this thing I made. So. Mm. And I imagine it, they all have workspaces that are sort of maybe similar. I don't know. And it's part of the the creation, the group of like it's the college or you know training mm -hmm. area for the creationists. So mm -hmm. it would make sense that he would be there. Uh, whether or not that's him specifically, it's. I think that would be really really cool if it was. That would be very very interesting. Everybody, pay attention during your experts, please. <laughs> Report back with your findings. <laughs> That's my favorite one to get. I really like the twinning. I like all the lore behind the twinning, and I love the music in the twinning, but mm -hmm. I always really like getting Academia as my I favorite. like Academia. My, my only gripe with Academia is the the track, how it after you do that first boss, it restarts it from the like complete beginning instead of like, it's like, let's skip the radio tuning. Like, it's just get back into the into the track. But that's it. I love it. I mean, I love eight. So like going in there and get seeing Quetzalcoatl at the end, and it's like Guardian Force. I was like, hell yes! <laughs> and then just to be compounded with Eden, like after that, I'm like, this is like so I'll great. Take it. I'll take it. And I love, yeah. I love going in that area. Total tangent. Like going in the the Eden area for the first time and being like, oh, Overworld Blue map Field. music. Oh Thank you gosh. so much. Yes, yes, yes. So good. So good. <laughs> Did we get all to right. the end of this? Have we interrupted we you? No, I've been, I've been no. letting you all go to go to Speculation Disneyland, so you're good. It's a good time. Uh, it is good. It's good stuff. Okay. Um, there is the second half of kind of the scene through we through which we see um, 
how Emmett kind of sees the world. And this is when he is Solace. Okay, Solace has not yet died. Okay, and it's also the time when Varys is still a teenager. So this is well before 2.0. I think this is basically before like 1.0 times. Well, kind of yeah. around there. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Varys seems kind of old, but we'll see. Okay, um, and it's like he's like falling asleep in his chair. He's like, he's just you know, and someone wakes him up Varys wakes him up and he's frustrated because he likes his solitude he likes being left alone <clears throat> and again he's like looking out <clears throat> excuse me looking out at the ether and it's just he's just upset at it it's not good um he doesn't like his intrusion on a solitude i mean he's just like flat out bothered when others are trying to like bring things to his attention even though Varys is trying to do something you kind of get this Varys is like this um, doesn't have a lot of confidence, you know, like a little teenager, you know, I kind of picture Varys with his, yeah, that's such a weird way to his see braces him. and his, you know, acne and stuff like that. Dad, why don't you love me? <laughs> yeah. Why can't I do anything right? Great grandsire. Yeah, oh, that's right. You're right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and you know, Emmett like expresses his disgust and then like Varys like, what is it? Like, what's the problem? And Emmett is like, it's your body. Like, I just don't like your body. And, you know, I sat there and I read that and I was like, what? That's weird. Yeah. What's, what's, what's going That's on? That's weird. And it, it, it's Please weird. explain. He's, he's looking at this guy's body and it's like, he, it's mortal. It's frail. And he's just like, he's always comparing it to his Assian brethren. You know, the unsundered they, Assian. They go know? so far as to be like, he is an exemplary example, exemplary example right. of, of humanity. Like, this guy looks good. But you suck still because you're not. Yeah, you're not what well, I am. This... He'll never. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not an Elizabeth or La Habrea. Mm -hmm. you know, this he's, makes he's not... so much sense, though, for his relationship with his own son. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that under his reign, we've seen this obsession with perfection of physical form. Uh, we've seen this, you know, echo sort of uh, project that they've been trying to do. We've seen the experiments he did on his own child that led him to becoming what he is. Um, all of these things, I think you can kind of like trace back almost to this. If he grew up with a complex where this very important presence in his life was just saying these things to him, it, it mm. kind of makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's another one of those like feel bad for, for Emmett Selk moments too, because this no. idea of like, <laughs> well, well, no, think about it. Like he's got right. The, the, this offspring, like the, the, of like Garlean like physiology right but it's still not good it's still not good enough he's never gonna get what he wants don't feel sorry for him I no. don't <laughs> all right I mean I get I absolutely get where you're coming from but mm -hmm. uh I don't know sometimes you just have to appreciate what you have and the best part of the story and the part that rates it at three tiers is is where he actually does say, you know, there was a point in my life where I sort of had like a backslide and was like, you know, maybe this is good enough. I I will take this wife. I will have this child. I will try and have a life. And then he's like, nope, it's not good enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you think about it, that had to be so devastating to him. The thing that gives him almost gives him hope again is creation, which mm -hmm. is that he. 
I mean, that was the entire lifeblood of his people. And seeing that even in this world that's so different, something can be born, something can be created, this child that he had, only to have it torn away again. Another mm. thing that has been destroyed and to realize he must have had that moment where he went, no, like this, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. This life is wrong. If something, this act of creation can be tarnished even here, even now, I have to destroy this. I have to bring back what was. So that makes me feel bad for him. Like he did, <laughs> he did establish a connection with these people that he thought were subpar. Uh, he he grew a love. He had feelings for this child and like you said, ripped away. And it, it did absolutely just prove to him that this wasn't good enough. Yeah, I, I think he probably knew by that point, having lived thousands and thousands of years. And remember that the soulless body, that's not his body. That, that's just a body that he assumed at that point. He knew mm -hmm. that it was mortal flesh and blood. Um, and, and the thing is we, we learn about his son at the end of the story. We learned that his, his son dies way too early due to some absurd illness. He doesn't have a successor. Um, and, you know, it just, it seems, I don't know, kind of when I reflect on his attitude, it's almost like he, he's already accepted the fact that until humanity is completely rejoined, he just has a disregard mm -hmm. for all of them. He just doesn't, he has like, he might have a hope, like he, he kind of makes this comment in the MSQ, like, Oh, maybe you guys could come up with something, but yeah, you've kind of bored me along the lines too, and you didn't really do what I wanted you to. But I think he he's entirely pessimistic about uh, I don't want to say about the human race, but just about, about mankind and all together. And I think he's entirely justified for it from his perspective, you know. Mm -hmm. And Rook, you're saying um, that that's probably why uh, Varys and maybe even Xenos have that weird complex, and actually somebody in chat and thinking about the story, uh, he put that there on purpose. He told them that on purpose. He mentions that, I think, as like a sort of a hint. I feel like that was hinted at. Am I wrong? Am I crazy? You guys are like, I don't know. I feel, I feel like sure. I, I, there's, there's some line, there's some line in there, I think, where, no, where, I trust you. where I, at least the way I read it, it sounds like he sort of like plants that seed. Like, I want you to know that you're not good enough so that you never feel good enough. Yeah, no, mm. I mean, that's honestly, I would not be surprised at all, because when you think about it, and when we when we talk about anything about characters, I mean, in this sense, I would say probably the relationship that he had, as we've seen with his progeny, was not a good one, probably even abusive. And, and I mean, I think at least after the first that, one. Yes, like, I think a big part of that is that a lot of times, if people are feeling lacking or dissatisfied or unhappy, it's not enough to just have that by yourself and Emmett has had yeah. that by himself for so no, long and so you just you spread that on others you infect other people with that you want them to know that they're not good enough and that's why you treat them terribly you know because that's justified to you and I think oh he's just such a compelling character knowing what we know now whereas previously in all the patches leading up I was just going this guy seems both weird and rude <laughs> both of these things but it makes so much more sense i feel like he has such good motivations um well-rounded motivations right. so the the hint that i sort of gave myself and reading it now was uh it's a little bit of a stretch i'll be honest um 
as he as he tells him this thing and he like turns his back and leaves the audience chamber, he sort of gives himself a self-deprecating smile. So he knows what he's done is what I'm mm. feeling there. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. He knows he's planted that seed that and and maybe feels a little bit bad for it too. But hmm. he, you know what you did. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Well, there you have it. That's, that's the, it. That's, that's the four stories. All four of them. Hopefully, you got your money's worth <laughs> out of it. Did they yeah. say there were only going to be four this time? Uh, I think they worded as like, I don't know. When I saw it on Twitter, it was like, here's the fourth and final installment, okay. unless I'm mistaken. But yeah. So, so see. the the actual actual site, there's only room on the bar for four. Um, and they uh, when they've announced the first one, like you can tell like how many there's going to be. Okay. Um, it's it's quite possible that we'll get extra ones. I mean, like. You know, they did release the Chronicles of Light book that had a couple extra ones, um, but that was also like three games worth of stories and then some extra ones. So I don't know. Um, you know, maybe it'll be another few expansions before we get another book like that, or maybe they'll just be like, "Hey, surprise! Here's like one more." Maybe we'll, you know, Depends towards on how the end. Well, of... it's sold, I think. And currently, but, I think it's sold yeah. out, so it had to have been well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe towards the end of five point we'll get one that's like Hithlidaeus or something. I, you know, please, who knows? please, just, just one one whole you. book on that guy. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that is gonna do it uh, for this episode. A lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of speculation, lots of tinfoil hats. Any more theories uh, we want to get in before we finish it up? Oh, I don't know. I feel like poor Bill spent most of the time like telling us the stories and, and we were just like jumping in like, here's our theory. So Bill, you have anything? Have any theories you didn't get in? I don't know if I could fit anything else into this. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Uh, so that's going to do it for us here for Aetherite Radio this week. If you want, you can contact us. You can email us at Radio at gamerscape.com. You can tweet at us at Aetherite Radio. You can also reach us uh, at Gamerscape on Twitter, on Facebook, and Discord.gg slash Gamerscape. We have an Aetherite Radio channel there if you would like to talk about the show. So that's going to do it. Uh, thank you to Rook and Bill for joining us, and we will see you here next week. Goodbye. Yep. Take care. Take care.